Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Greetings from Saddlebrook. Ooh, Saddlebrook. That sounds so Deadwood. Like it sounds like, <laughs> right? It sounds Tombstone. Wow, it could not be more not that. <laughs> what? Where? Tell everybody where Saddlebrook is. Well, when we go here to visit my in-laws, we say, oh, we're going to Tucson. But that is not, in fact, where we are. We are about 20 miles northeast of Tucson, in one of the largest retirement communities on the face of the earth. Are you in a retirement community abode right now? Oh yeah, I am sitting right now in my mother-in-law's craft room. Oh, I see it. I can see flowers. I see oh, lots of oh. storage containers. You are seeing, I wish this wasn't my desktop right now. I wish I could give you 360 degrees of what this is. This is like if you had a Joann's in your own home. It's unbelievable. Just to paint the picture, Ward is surrounded by um, storage containers, several of which are labeled with clearly a label maker, ephemera. <laughs> ephemera is the label behind you on all of those things. I don't really get that, but I also like it. There's tape, I see there's colors. There's a lot going on there. It does. Like, it's a great description. You look like you have set up shop inside of a Joanne's Fabrics. Yeah. No, this is, if you like to make greeting cards or scrapbooks, this room is where you want to be. Do you think that that room derives its artistic power because it is powered by peaks? on that one yeah i wanted to fool everybody i wanted everybody to think like oh my god thank god it's over and then just come right back with the sucker punch <laughs> the long just nails on the chalkboard sucker punch that's what i do that's what i do on this that's what i bring to this podcast if we're about to give them three hours of this gentleman the least they can do is take 30 seconds of that. It's the price of admission. That, yeah, we don't charge you for the podcast. So just sit through our bullshit for a few minutes and just take it, take it like a man. Yeah, unless you're a woman. And in, in which case I'm sure you too can handle it in a, in a feminine way. Take it like a feminine. <laughs> well said. What, uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, here's the quick update. Bryce Hopkins is going to Kentucky, right? 
He's going I mean, to Kentucky. My my source, which is you, says that, so I have to agree with you. There's He's going there's to Kentucky. I, I don't have any other sources that's telling me that uh, Indiana's got the inside track. But you know that would have been that would have been found money. That that was not something I'd been expecting. I'm still we're looking at these three guys, and I'm hoping for two of these three guys. And um, nothing you can say after I finish saying this is going to make me not want two of those three guys. I'm just going to say that you got to hand it to Indiana because for all the talk of how they have struggled on out-of-state recruiting, they found a way to up the ante by failing on an out-of-state recruit twice. It's true. I mean, that, that is something else. I mean, don't get them the first time come back in both feet don't get him a second time. I guess what we can hope for is that Calipari has finally found out. NCAA shit hammers him. He comes back on the market a third time. And then, of course, third time's the charm for Indiana with an out-of-state top 50 recruit. We can dream. We can dream. God damn it. You know that Elvis song, If I Could Dream? Very well. That's a good song. It's a great song. Do you think he was talking about Indiana University out-of-state recruiting when he wrote that or sang it? He was more of a football guy mm, from the South. Was he a, was he a uh, Tennessee guy? You know, I don't remember him having affiliation to a particular team. I know that he loved to play football. I don't ever remember seeing him in any gear or attending an NFL game, but he would take the Memphis mafia and they'd play football all the time. I'm fairly certain he was a big Anthony Thompson fan. That's true. That's true. Anthony was was still pretty young, but he was a rising prospect. Yeah, he just knew. He knew he would be good. I look. There's no doubt in my mind that Elvis would love Tom Allen. Yeah, yeah, the passion. Yeah, I mean, he's a performer. He gets it. Mm-hmm. Tom Allen does some performing. He he would appreciate that. You know, I was going to ask if because both Tom and Cliff brought it up in terms of their choices of music. Elvis made some killer gospel albums. Yeah, like some really good times gospel albums that that you know a couple of them get rotation in my house you know that's how we go to church we put on an elvis album well that song if i could dream is basically a gospel song sure yeah i mean that's very gospel um you and i are not we're not very gospel no we preach the gospel of the indiana hoosiers can i get can i get an amen amen (laughs) the only gospel i believe in is Arsenio Hall's preacher character in Coming to America. <laughs> can I get a can I get a witness? <laughs> he helped Daniel get out the lion's den. That's that if that's what church was like, I would convert today. Now, there's a new one coming out, isn't there? Yeah, Are there's they, a sequel. Have, did they get that in the can or where yeah, is that at? It's in the can. Oh boy. Oh yeah, boy. It is in the can. I know. I cannot wait. That That is a classic movie. That is a classic movie. You know what we should do one time? We should take classic movies and recast them with only Indiana former basketball players and coaches. That is a great idea. Right? Yes. Let's do one real quick on the fly. You pick okay. the movie. You pick the movie. Let's go with, because I know this is right in your wheelhouse, Goodfellas. Okay, good. I'm glad you didn't say Godfather because that's my all-time favorite and I need some time on that one. Uh, too precious, yeah. I guess. All right, good fellas. Um, let's start with Henry Hill. Who's the Henry Hill from Indiana? Todd Leary. 
Oh, that is good. <laughs> that is good. Todd Larry is Henry Hill. Absolutely, because you know he would turn states to get his ass out of prison. <laughs> well, and it's just that like intensity. Uh, there, there's a, a manicness that I think. No, really that is there. really good. All right, let's go, Joe Pesci. I mean, that's is that Coverdale? Is Coverdale a little too quiet, like off the court for that? Because I almost wanted to say Archie, if we're allowed to no. go coaches. No, Archie's too quiet. He's not flashy. Joe Pesci's okay. flashy. I, I guess I, I, I'm thinking more to that, that intensity. You know, like, hey, we're sitting here having a good time. Now I'm going to kill you. I think it's Jamal Meeks. Ooh, I like that. Come on, oh, yeah, Meeksy? Yeah, yeah Meeksy's Meeksy? <laughs> He's kind of short and stout and would just fuck you up. Like, yeah. come on. That yeah. All right, who is De Niro? God, that is tough. Is it, is it really the answer to all of these Bobby Capobianco. <laughs> Bobby Capobianco is the whole cast of Goodfellas. I was like, uh, how, I guess there hasn't been a lot of Italian influence on our roster. Oh, that is decades. good. Bobby Capobianco is everybody else in the movie. <laughs> All right, we may bring this segment back in the future because we've enjoyed it. Yeah. But we uh, look, another big thing coming up. It's October 13th today. Mm -hmm. We got 19 days until the Board of Trustees campaign kicks off. Ward, have you decided if you're going to join me in Bloomington on December 12th? The uh, jury is still out on that one. All right. That's not a no. That's not a no. That I have not not endorsed going on that trip. Holly told me that she saw a news story that flying is healthier and safer than driving. That the way they have air circulation on planes, like that even sitting next to someone is safer than being six feet apart from them. That, that being next to somebody on an airplane is the equivalent of social distancing. Really? Yeah, she said it. I think she's trying to kill me, to be honest <laughs> with you. I think it's all bullshit. She's just trying to get me on a plane so she can end it. But, uh, but yeah, that's what she said. So look, we're going to kick the campaign off on November 1st. That's when we need to get signatures to get me on the ballot. We're, I'm, I did start working on a website. I'm, I, I knew it was in the works. The goons. We have to give it to the goons. The goons really pushed for the website. They demanded it. You know what? I, fuck it. Let's talk about this right now. We have, okay. I told this to Holly and her reaction to both ideas was simply, no, don't do that. You cannot do that. And now I know what ideas you're going to bring yeah. up. So I want to just throw them out to our podcast audience and see what they think. We want to have some merchandise and we we're on both. We're, we're independent. Like my campaign for trustee is for all people. That's right. It's not just for Democrats. It's not for Republicans. It's not for Boilermakers. It's not for Boilermakers. For all Hoosiers. Yeah, that's exactly right. For all non-mentally deranged humans that went to Indiana, we're going to have, we want to have some merchandise. So we thought that the, the hat, you, you do the hat and I'll do the other one. <laughs> You're going to make me jump on that grenade. Well, you can choose the other one if you want. You can do the hashtag. I'll, I'll, I'll go with, with the hat. So uh, the idea of, of having a red and white hat, because of course that's, that's, that's our the, colors. the Indiana colors, cream and crimson, if, if you want to get real specific but about but it. But it's not even really cream and crimson anymore. It's red and white. It, it's true. So either way, 
we come down and instead of saying MAGA of make America great again, it's MIGA for make Indiana great again. And, and look, people can have their opinions about the whole MAGA thing. That's not what we're here for. No. We're not interested in that. But I think we can all agree that when it comes to basketball, we want to make Indiana great again. We want a MIGA. We want a MIGA. We want to MIGA the shit out of something. Yes. And so that's one option. But then we understand that there might be some people who think like, oh, but you're trading on that and I'm not really into that. And that somehow is supporting that. Look, again, we're apolitical. But so then for those people, we're going to have a shirt that says hashtag HLM. Who's your lives matter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, even you are uncomfortable <laughs> with that. You can't even get your head around that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I'm against both of these. Oh, you the are. So you're with Holly. That it's a hundred percent. I think it's it. They're both terrible ideas. And um, we'll have to consider if we're going to actually include these in the podcast. <laughs> Can we not? I mean, I know things are rough in the world. I do. I know things are rough in the country. I know how worked up people get about this stuff. I do. But can't we, what we do is ridiculous. Can't we laugh about it all on in our little bubble of the world? Or are there some things now that like are just so toxic that you cannot even joke about them? Is that where we are, that it is, it is just so deathly serious? I mean, I'm Jewish, and I've grown up my whole life hearing Holocaust jokes. And, and I've never been offended by them, unless they were told to me by a Nazi, in which case I was offended <laughs> by them. But if it's told to me by somebody who I know cares about me and is not racist or anti-Semitic, I'm okay with it. But it feels like we've crossed into this world where not, we can't joke about this stuff. Well, and that's why I thought, well, if you did the mega hat, which is, you know, from a, a current campaign yeah. situation, and you went with the the hope, why not t-shirt oh, yeah, we could still from, do that from the previous campaigns that took place, then you're kind of balancing out the the politics. Oh, politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then Got you have, it. you know, one from that side, one from the other side, you Got break it. even on it. But to your point. Uh, obviously we're, we're guys who like to have a good laugh and, um, I get as, as, you know, I don't know how great Holocaust jokes would have been in 1943, you know, as far Not as good. how, Not right. Good. Uh, I, I, I get when things are at a fever pitch and things really haven't changed one way or the other. That's why I am disinclined to even keep this part in the podcast. Well, but you're I, the one who edits it. So you'll have to make that decision, my friend. But I will say, I, I hope society returns to a place where we can laugh at everything. Everything. Because it's it's so healthy. It helps bring us back together. Agreed. And I do think it's so much about where the person's coming from who's making the joke. Intention it, matters. It really Intent does. Matters. It, it should really matter, does. but it doesn't anymore. That's part of the problem with where we've gone as a society. The intent doesn't matter. You slip up. It doesn't matter if your intent was not to slip up. You slipped up and therefore you're gone. It's a shame. But one thing does bring us together. And that is walking down memory lane with players who we think we know. We think we know their story. We think we have a judgment about them, all locked up, signed, sealed, and delivered. We watched them for four years. We know what they were about. 
this podcast has taught you and I that we have no idea what we are talking about. Nope. And I couldn't be happier to not know what we're talking about because this interview that we're about to give you is just so life-affirming. It really is. He's just such a good dude. I don't want to say too much more about him. I'm just so happy he came on. I'll let you have the last word. We deal with the tip of the iceberg always as fans way back here in the peanut gallery, we're only ever getting the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And especially when a gentleman like this spends this much time with us, you understand you so, so, so much more. And it is, it's just, it's super fun. It's super interesting and insightful. And you know, what are we about 90 episodes into this and like what a, a fuller, more clear, more fair and representative picture we have of so many journeys. There hasn't been one of these where after a couple of hours, I was like, yeah, that was pretty much everything I knew and I expected to hear and I had heard before. And this one is no exception to that. And it's a long one. So let's stop blabbering and get to it. Hysterics. Hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is a gentleman uh, that overlaps with our own era. Uh, we were certainly far more aware of what he was doing in Bloomington than he was of us. Okay, that's a given. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Eric because the, the accomplishments this man has, they're going to take a while to list. And even though he asked us to keep this part short, it's impossible. There's just too much there. Eric, take a deep breath and good luck to you. Let's start with the fact that he was born not too far from where we are out here in California, born in Riverside, California, moved around as part of a military family where he landed at Cooper High School in Abilene, Texas, where all he did there was become the first three-time district MVP in the area known as Big Country, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. He was a two-time first-team All-State selection. He was 5A Player of the Year. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Texas. He was a McDonald's High School All-American, a Parade All-American. He made the 2013 Big Country Hall of Fame. He played in the 1997 Junior World Championships. He was a Big Ten All-Star in 1994. He finished his IU career at 20, well, actually he finished 17th all-time in scoring and now sits 25th all-time in scoring. He is tied for 21st all-time with the best scoring game. And believe me, we're going to get into that game in detail. <laughs> 19th all-time in rebounds, 10th all-time in block shots, 7th all-time in block shots in Big Ten games where it really counts. Tied for 18th all-time in field goals made in a game when he made 15 against Duke. We'll get into that. <laughs> Finished his Indiana career where he was drafted in the NBA by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Played two years in the NBA before becoming a veteran pro in Europe for about nine, ten seasons. He then went on to a short stint in coaching before he found his way into the front office of NBA organizations, first with the Utah Jazz and then being swept away by the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2017, where he became director of basketball administration. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to one of the best recruits that Indiana University ever landed, and also a guy that universally, everyone we've talked to that played with him has said, you will love this guy. Please welcome Andre Patterson. (laughs) 
Well, what an intro. Um, yeah, like, I, like I said earlier, you guys alluded to it. <laughs> Please keep it short. <laughs> um, but I, I really appreciate, um, you know, this opportunity to talk with y'all. Um, it, it's, it's always an honor to talk to and connect with fellow Hoosiers, um, as well as, you know, sharing stories and great memories of, of this great uh, history that the school has, um, you know, with basketball. So I uh, appreciate it. Um, and, uh, you know, ho hopefully this won't be the last one. I'm, I'm going to do something here. Uh, hopefully we can uh, turn this into maybe a uh, team reunion uh, type of a podcast later on. I, I wanted to throw that out there. Oh, I love oh, that. Yes, we, please. We've actually, yes, please. We've done one of those with the 2012 team, and we loved it. We would love to do that. We, we've talked to some of your teammates, like Michael Lewis and Charlie Miller and Brian, Brian Evans. Evans. So we would love to. We'll, <laughs> we, we will definitely follow up on that. Although I will say, Andre, we are so early in this episode, you may change your mind by the time it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that, man. When you, when you make that list of the good and the bad, the good always outweigh the bad. And, That's uh, true. The overall experience. Well, let's talk real quick before we get into what you're doing now. When you hear that long list of things that are part of your basketball life, is there one thing, high school, college, uh, that sticks out to you as something you are most proud of or when you think back on your playing days really comes to the forefront? Wow. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the impact. You know, I've always enjoyed, I've always looked back on the, on the different impacts that people have had in my life and throughout my journey, right? Um, but, you know, and I always look up to that and I always wanted to pass it forward. So that's probably the one thing is, is how many times I was able to hopefully impact um, either whether it was teammates, classmates, friends, um, you know, relatives, strangers, how I was able to impact the different lives throughout my journey. And, and, and probably in these, the latter years, I've been able to reconnect with people who have, you know, made a good positive impact. You know, that's usually the case, right? Usually the, the, the negative impact you had on people. They usually don't want to reconnect with you, but it has been humbling. <laughs> it has been humbling to be able to reconnect with people I've had a positive impact on, and that's been great. Well, Eric alluded to where you're at now, and if we could get into that just a little bit, because I imagine you're you're positively impacting people there with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And boy, it's been crazy times. Can you kind of take us through what you're doing there, what you've been doing through this year? with uh, the bubble going on down in Florida, what you guys are doing up there and, and how you're looking forward to whatever comes next. Oh, wow. Uh, so many different things, but right now, um, you know, I guess what I'm doing is, is, is probably every executive in the NBA. Uh, we're, we're always evaluating talent. You know, we're trying to find out um, how we can improve and build our teams. Um, and so that's probably the main, um, the main role uh, with, with the title. Um, some of the other things that come along with that is, you know, working day to day on some of the day to day um, um, lists of things to whether it's managing staff, whether it's uh, uh, managing different egos with the players and the things that come up there, mentoring, um, you know, kind of life coaching those guys, um, as well as listening to them and learning from them as well, you know, how we can we can collaborate and, and make things better uh, for the organization. Um, so that's probably the the main uh, area of my role uh, as well as some other areas of, of strategizing uh, like you guys alluded, alluded to like the draft um, how we're preparing for the draft how we're preparing for who we're going to add to our team and free agency and stuff like that 
Um, so we're strategizing the different ways when it comes to, you know, whether our books are right in order to add a certain player or, you know, what, whether we have to make some changes uh, with our current roster in order to add players. So it's quite an all-encompassing role, uh, and I've enjoyed it. The challenge has been great. Uh, like you guys talked about before, I had a little stint coaching. Um, I was inspired by uh, uh, a GM. Uh, he's actually the executive vice president now of the Utah Jazz, Dennis Lindsay. Um, of, of joining the uh, being an executive on the front office side, and I, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, looking forward to some of the things I get exposed to moving forward. I'm curious, Andre, when when you're working in player personnel, and obviously the NBA. I mean, we're uh, many of us are watching the finals now, and and the playoffs are in the bubble. I think as I've gotten older, and maybe just watched more and more basketball, the skill level at the NBA it just continues to impress me more and more. The shot making uh, specifically is just, it's insane. But I am wondering how much of your role when you're looking for players, how much of it are you looking just for pure talent and skill? And how much is that other piece, that mental piece, the fitting into a team, the personality, not having to worry about troublemakers, things like that. How much do you have to dig into that side of it as well? I mean, you, you really have to dig into that side of it. You know, first you have to, you know, kind of self-reflect and identify what you currently have on your roster, uh, what you currently have from a support system, whether it's coaches, training staff, um, you know, sports psychiatrists, you know, you know what I mean, mental coach, and you know, your entire support system to see what you can take on, you know, the different risks that you can and maybe can't take on. And so um, you, you, you're right. It, it, a lot of it has to do with what elite talent or a special gift that certain player might bring. Um, but it also has to do with their character, um, you know, what what the long term um, piece is that their character is going to be able to you know, help transcend, you know, for a long term period. We're watching with rapt attention on the Miami Heat uh, versus the Los Angeles Lakers. And there you have the team that uh, LeBron went to for a while won a couple titles before he came back to love Cavaliers. And now he's out in LA. So we've kind of got the Trinity here of the LeBron James story in the NBA. How are people in Cleveland within the organization around the city? Is it really tough to watch these finals or is there a feeling of like, he's still our guy and he came back and did right by us. I, I'm just curious of the, the outlook there. Well, that's, you know, I'm an outsider there. You know, I came in and was able to enjoy his last year here. Um, and also, I'm not from Cleveland. So, you know, it, 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 that's going to take on another emotional role being if you were from Cleveland. So um, to me personally, I would say it's an appreciation. I think people that are watching him now are, are, are appreciating what they, all the memories that he did give uh, the, the, the state of Ohio while he was here um, and, 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 I can't, I, I can't hear it. I hear it all the time. People just appreciate what he was able to do, even if, even though there was bad blood there, you know, for a little bit of time. But uh, I, I just think that people really appreciate him. Um, I don't know if it's doing right by them, but just appreciating his gifts, his talent, his work ethic, um, his leadership um, while here. And, and, and he continues to, to make an impact on the community out here with his, uh, you know, I promise school. Um, and some of the things he does here, you know, maybe not in Cleveland, but just in the state. Um, so it's, it's I, I tell you, um, me, myself, only having worked with him for one year, I got a chance to really appreciate a season when he didn't, he didn't, him and I, we joked about it. 
he didn't miss a game. And, you know, although I didn't play, I didn't miss a game either. <laughs> I was at every game. <laughs> and so incredible run he had, um, you know, while he was here. Um, incredible opportunity for me to be able to work with somebody like that, um, especially at the level that he was playing during that time, not missing any games. And um, he just continues to just, you know, continues to wow everybody um, with, with his level of play at the age and the amount of years that he's been doing it. It's, it's amazing to see. How hard is it for you as a former player who played at the highest levels when you came in that year and you see those guys on the court and they go to Golden State and they win that game seven and they win the championship? Uh, was it difficult for you um, to to like enjoy it? Or wait, was it his last year that they won the title before he left? No, no, no. no we, it was we, the year before, right? Yeah. Yeah, he actually broke his hand in the first game. Nobody knew it until after the series over. Oh, that I didn't was the year that. I was. Yeah, that was the year I was with uh, with LeBron that last year. Seventeen. Right. So, and they and they lost that last year in the finals. But as a right. former player, is it hard for you to like? Are you getting as excited and pumped up because you're part of the organization, or are you like, man, I wish I was still out there? I mean, it's, it's every time I hear the intros, right? Every time the guys are getting ready to run out and huddle out before they go out and, leave and go through the tunnel, I, I get, you know, like goosebumps. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's just because being an ex-player, just it, it, it still gets me pumped up. But my body says, oh, you're done. You're, <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> Shut those goosebumps down. Slow down. Just enjoy the game. And so that that that's always been something that I've been dealing with since I've retired. It's just those goosebumps when the, when the game is actually about to start. Now that you're part of, hey, we're Cleveland post LeBron James, obviously you want to get back to where you were with LeBron James. Of all those responsibilities you were highlighting, do you have a favorite when it's like that time of the day to go in and do this thing that you're like, this is my jam. This is really like my happy place in helping build this franchise to where it wants to go? Well, there's two. Um, one is the, the strategizing process you know, the process of, 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 you know, reflecting, identifying what you have in house and, and what pieces that are out there, whether it's in the draft, whether it's free agency, um, you know, whether it's domestically or internationally, um, mm -hmm. that you could potentially add um, to your roster and, and team building, right? Uh, I love that process. You know, the, the, unfortunately, the, the, the dark side of that process is seeing that stuff not fall through, <laughs> yeah. work out the way you want it to work out. But, but you know, a lot of times it does work out. And you've seen with other teams that have done a great job building, it's worked out and it's provided some sustainability for, for those organizations. So that's the first part. The second part is, is you know, seeing the practice, seeing the actual plan and development plan um, that the coaches and the executives front office, um, you know, team together to put um, in front of these players, um, you know, not only as individual players, but as teams of, of different goals that you know, we need to try to reach um, in order for us to take different steps, small steps, small wins, um, you know, whether it's each day, each hour, each week, each year, in order to attain that goal. It's interesting because the two organizations you've been affiliated with, Utah and now, and now Cleveland, they're in somewhat similar positions in that, you know, I think they're considered small market or mid-market teams. You don't have that geographical pull where, you know, a New York or a Miami or an L.A. where you can just get free agents. It's a very difficult thing to sign the top free agents. Um, to me, that means you have to work harder 
because you, right? Like you, you, you do have to rely more a little bit internationally. You do have to dig in more on these guys coming out of college on who can actually turn into a reliable pro. Um, that's got to be a unique challenge in, in the NBA when you're competing against the likes of the LA's and the Miami's and the Chicago's of the world. Definitely. It makes it, makes it a lot more challenging. Um, you know, things have changed, you know, back when I was playing, it was a disadvantage, you know, now with the way, um, with the way viewership is now with the streaming and people having access, social media, players can go anywhere um, and, and kind of build their brand and, and kind of reap the benefits of that brand that's built and, um, obviously, you know, uh, winning helps, you know, their brand also. So if they can get in a situation where they're winning and they're um, contrib- contributing to a, a community and, um, and just, just the overall, I guess is their overall branding as a player, because it's a lot more emphasis put on that now, because um, then it transcends to what their life is after basketball, you know, uh, whether it's business ventures or going into, you know, you know, media, it, it just, a lot has turned into the, the importance of branding. Um, so it, it, it used to be a disadvantage. Now I don't think it's as much, but we do have to put things in place um, where in college it was, an arm, it, it was an arms race. It's no longer that. Everybody's kind of uh, the status quo and, and there's not much out there that's going to give you an advantage as far as if it's, whether it's a practice facility, whether it's a private jet, whether it's, you know, the arms race wasn't really happening in the NBA, which was surprising. Like there was a lot of... T- a lot of facilities that were behind a lot of colleges, you know, when it comes to, you know, what they have in those facilities. So I'd say when I was in Utah, we went through a renovation um, time and um, we were touring colleges, you know, to kind of see what the, what are the different advantages that uh, we could add in our renovation in order to make our space better. So that was, you know, I want to say that what, six years ago. Wow. You know, so that's, that's pretty recent. And so a lot of these teams now, if you really, Camps the league have really made some updates or built new facilities. To, to it, it's become an arms race in the NBA now, and wow. you have you know you have owners that are billionaires. You would think that that'd be already in place, but that wasn't the case. And so yeah, they're um, billionaires because are, they don't like to spend the money. <laughs> hey, some of them do, <laughs> right? Them I know. Do. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's uh, well, they spend money in other areas, right? You know what I mean? So. Um, and so that's been probably the, the main thing now is how, how are we, for markets like us, the smaller markets, how are we maximizing, um, you know, some of the things in, in areas um, that those larger markets don't have to worry about maximizing. And, and so we look for those low-hanging fruits that we can take advantage of and, 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 and update. And you had mentioned um, scouting overseas. Obviously, mm-hmm. you had a great pro, uh, a pro career overseas. And even in the playoffs this year, when you see Doncic, you see Joker, you see really high impact young European players. Is that something that's uh, a little bit in your wheelhouse? Do you get in on that overseas action because you saw what was going on over there and why this new influx of talent is coming in and, and having such an impact even late in the postseason? Or is that a different department? No, I, I, you know, it's it's a different it's a different department, but I, you know, because of my history and my background, um, you know, Utah as well as Cleveland are, are using um, the network I was able to build, you know, with my career over there. Um, you know, I was a lot of my teammates while during the time I was there playing are now either assistant GMs, GMs, or even coaches now oh, over there, wow. and so I can easily pick up a phone and and talk to them and get some information on some of these prospects and. 
um, or hear about, you know, different prospects that, you know, might not be on the radar yet that, you know, we'll get a head start on, um, on knowing. So um, it, I've been a part of it both here and in, in Utah, and it's, it's been great to be able to lean on um, my experience while playing over in Europe because there's a lot of talent there. Um, I, I give a story all the time. I was, you know, I, I saw Ginobili before he was played against before he came over to the to the league. And so wow. when I found out he was a second round pick, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> He's going to tear the league up. He's going to tear it up. And because uh, I, I knew some of the things that he was doing. Um, and so it was, it was, uh, my teammate was also uh, Sergio Rodriguez. You know, I, I, he was my teammate when he was like 15 years old. So I saw a lot of that talent coming up. Marc Gasol also played against him. He was on the junior Barcelona team, you know? Wow. So it's, you see, you know, I, I was able to see all that talent back then. And just, it really showed, it really opened my eyes that it's a worldwide uh, talent uh, pool, you know? Totally. With college players, even high school players, in the United States, there's no mm-hmm. secrets. Everybody knows who the top talents are. Occasionally, somebody uh, like Victor Oladipo or OG will rise through the ranks and surprise people by the time it's NBA time. But is it still a case over in Europe where you could find a hidden gem and maybe snag them before other teams know about them? Or is it just, is the NBA and their scouts too pervasive over there and you're going to end up? having to battle other teams to get your guy. So the, the coverage now, you know, every team, you know, does it differently, but there's, there's plenty of coverage over in Europe right now with team, with, with all the teams in the department. So um, I'm not going to, you know, it's probably not going to be very many secrets there. Now, will there be late bloomers? You know, although you have coverage, you got to have the guys that have the eye to see that, you know, Hey, this guy could be a late bloomer. He has the tools. He has the, the work ethic. He has the, um, the drive in order to, you know, be, take his tools and become something one day. And then it, it also has to be a fit with your team. Does does the your roster, your coach, your system going to enable this kid to really develop and become something? Because um, a lot of times these prospects, whether internationally or domestically, are, you know, are a product of the environment they're brought into, you know, and they might not reach their potential on one team and then they get to another team. You're like, wow, I didn't know he was that good when, he was good all along. He just wasn't in the right situation. Yeah, that's my problem. I've just never found the right system for my skill set. <laughs> you know, I feel like I could really flourish. I just need the right support system. It's uh, not here. <laughs> it, no, it's not here. Uh, before we flourish in this 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 podcast, this, this all right. you guys have this platform is unbelievable. You're flourishing, uh-huh. man. Thank you. Um, before we get to your personal story, I do want to ask because I've spent quite a bit of time in Cleveland. Have you gone to Slimans Deli? Yes, I have. We actually have a Slimans uh, right next to um, our practice facility in Independence. Nice. And so um, I was told that, so when I was in Utah, um, you know, I like to eat. I don't know if you guys got that you know, <laughs> part of my background. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, when I was in Utah, you know, I was taken to a lot of, a lot of delis. And uh, one of my favorite desserts is uh, the black and white cookies. Oh, and yes. Vegas, uh, there's a spot uh, uh, called Bagel Mania in Vegas. You know, we spent a lot of time there because of the summer league. Right. Um, let me tell you, uh, one of the best <laughs> black and white cookies I've ever had. <laughs> and, and I love it. I love it. Then, I, you know, then another one is Mr. Brown's uh, cream soda. Oh, the cream soda. That's another favorite of mine. That's another favorite of mine. So, so yes. That's I'm a good call. 
Well, Sliman's, that pastrami sandwich and the toast, the rye toast, I mean, mm. it is, that is special. And then also one other Cleveland, the West Side Market, right? That big oh, yeah. farmer's market. Yeah. I, they have beef jerky in that market, oh. like fresh beef jerky. <laughs> that is, it's not like beef jerky. It's like filet mignon that they just dried out for a day. And you just no, the gnaw quality it. quality is incredible. Right? The quality is incredible, yeah. I, I, I usually go for the, the turkey jerky sure but, yeah, but i've heard i've heard the, that beef jerky the quality it, you're right it's like steak you know it is. It's, it's the quality is great all right so now <laughs> let's go back to riverside california oh boy. You know, a little a little more than 40 years ago walk us through your childhood where you were born and and how you what your family life was like and how you ultimately found the game of basketball oh wow so um, I think you mentioned it early. Um, my dad was in the military, so Riverside is because of the Air Force base there. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, was there for probably two years that I, I don't remember. I have plenty of pictures to, to, to recollect that memory. Um, but so two years there, and, and, and I've heard this saying, two years and out. And so mm-hmm. I did a lot of that growing up. Um, and so was in Riverside, you know, for two years. And uh, I believe we went to Florida for a little while, went to South Carolina for a little while. Um, but my memory, what I remember the most is, is in uh, Macon, Georgia. So we were in Macon, Georgia. I was in elementary school there and I have some pictures that, um, you know, I was the biggest, that's when I started noticing I was the biggest person in the class. Mm. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't quite hit a growth spurt yet, but I was always the biggest person in my class. And so from there, we went to Iceland. And let me tell you, that was quite the experience of being there. I, I haven't been able to go back there, but I can't wait because you don't quite appreciate these places when you're small. You know, you just, where can I play? How come I have to go to bed? You know, and there was really <laughs> challenging because, you know, during the summer, you, you know, you could get maybe night between 19 and 21 hours of sunlight. And so you had to put blankets on the windows in order to go to sleep, you know. So that was really challenging for, for children. You know, you want to stay up. It, it, why are they- have to go to bed the sun's still out there (laughs) so enjoy that so there you know I wasn't really I still hadn't really picked up a basketball you know well just maybe in just playing all sports you know you have PE and so you're playing all sports with friends and stuff but not seriously right um and then from there from Iceland you know we we were in um that's when we went to uh, to Abilene Texas and uh let me tell you uh even before Iceland, I had I have two older brothers. So my oldest brother is uh, David Jones, and uh, my middle brother is Brian. And so um, those two guys, let me tell you, I watched them play basketball. David was very athletic, so he played all sports. You know, he basketball, baseball, football, track, everything. And so I grew up watching them, wanting to follow them, and uh, never quite was big enough. So I was always I was biggest in my class, but I was never bigger than my older brother. You know. <laughs> Um, got to Abilene, um, I'd probably say um, sixth grade is when I hit a growth spurt. And that's when I became taller than those guys. You know, they were both around six feet tall. Um, and so they started taking me to play with them, with the older guys. Yeah, they're not, they're not stupid. They're not stupid. Get the tall kid. Let's go. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was, I was still skinny at the time. You know, I hadn't filled out yet. And so, but those were some those were some hard lessons that I had to learn playing with older men. Let me tell you. Um, and I still wasn't taking it serious. Then I was still like in baseball, you know, playing, I don't know if you guys ever heard of wiffle ball, 
But in Texas, you know, you played wiffle ball. We we play in the yard, play in the street. We love. I loved it. You know, baseball was probably my first love. You know, during that time because baseball was just so big in in West Texas. Um, at my high school probably had, you know, multiple pros. You know, go straight from high school. We had scouts there all the time, and so I, you know, baseball was like I was like, man, I want to be a baseball player. I want to. <laughs> but at that point, I had gotten to six eight. You know, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was six, eight. And uh, and that's when basketball became serious for me. You know, it was I think what made it easier for me was because I was so uh, versatile with the versatile with the other sports. So it made me, you know, I was a little faster with my coordination. Um, and so that's why I was able to move like I was able to um, at my size. And so it gave me a, a huge advantage. So not only was I was, you know, I was playing all these different sports. So it gave me uh, a head start with my coordination and size so that my growth spurt didn't affect me that much. Um, I also was playing against grown men yeah. <laughs> because of my older brother. So um, that just that just gave me such an advantage once I did become serious with it. Um, so I was able to really be a, have a head start my freshman year in high school. This seems like a good time to ask one of our favorite questions. As Uh-oh. one of the most awesome, powerful dunkers in IU history, do you remember the first time you dunked? And can you tell us about it? So when I was seventh grade, yeah, seventh grade, middle school, Madison Bison's, right? Um, gosh, I got my yearbook here. I would, I would have sent you guys some pictures. Um, <laughs> you weren't allowed to dunk, not even in the warmups, you know. And so we would get so far ahead. Um, of the other team that I would often, you know, look over at my coach before I knew he was going to take me out and say, Hey, can I, is it all right if I dunk it? Because if you, if you dunked it, you were going to get a technical, you know? <laughs> and so he would give me that. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'd get a steal and my teammates were all pumped up because they wanted to see me dunk it. Cause in practice I did all the time. And, uh, and so I did it. And then the referee was, you know, as bad as he, cause the referees are, you know, they, they were local guys that knew, everybody it was a small town Abilene so they were like all right we're gonna give you a technical but go ahead just don't break the goal <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first experience Duncan was you know, probably uh, around I think seventh grade I want to say maybe it was the summer leading into seventh grade uh, I went to a basketball camp at Texas Tech and I dunked for the first time there and that's when Texas Tech were like oh we need to we need to recruit this kid <laughs> <laughs> um Look, taking a, a quick sidestep here, I think if somebody just looks at your career and your life on paper, and obviously one, a couple of things that stand out are military family and, and bouncing around and then playing for a man known as the general in, in your later, uh, in your college life. What was your dad uh, like? Did you grow up in a very disciplined household? And, and did you kind of have a respect and comfort level with a very structured disciplinarian um, environment? Yes. So, you know, early on, that was something that uh, I still are reaping the benefits of the day of having a father in the military. Um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate, you know, my experiences of being in a military family and then the sacrifices that were made, um, you know, to current families today. Um, and we'll probably talk about it later. I'm, I'm a part of a, of a program that I really enjoy that, that impacts uh, military families. Um, but um, yeah, you know, my dad was very strict. You know, we had a very structured household um, and, and, you know, my food stories goes all the way back there. Um, so my dad always knew that either my brother or myself would, 
you know, try to sneak and get some sweets or ice cream or whatever his little goodie was. And, and so he was so strict and, and to, the, to, to the detail, to the point where he would draw a line on the ice cream bucket, you know, well, we couldn't see it, but we knew he, he knew where he put the oh. line at. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> so one time I got, you know, I got caught because I went into the ice cream, uh, to the, to the freezer and grabbed the ice cream bucket. And, you know, I tried to get on the one side, you know, where the yeah. line wasn't. And he kind of rotated that thing around and was like, well, who did my ice cream? <laughs> and so I got in trouble, you know, I had to, you know, pay the consequences for, you know, it is what it is and moved on. But those are some of the lessons in life that, you know, um, that taught me hey, every choice, every choice has a repercussion. You, you know what I mean? No matter how, no matter how you might've planned and think you've outsmarted the system, every choice has a repercussion. And so it definitely prepared me not only for, you know, the years I had with, uh, at Indiana with coach Bobby Knight, um, and it prepared me for life. Yeah. I'm wondering when you mentioned about baseball being so big in Texas and that maybe uh, at your height, you could have ended up being the next Randy Johnson. Uh, obviously we all know about football in Texas and mm-hmm. uh, these days, maybe they'd be trying to get you to be uh, a tight end. It sounds like it was probably early high school, but do you remember a, a moment or a sequence of events where those other sports went away and you were mm-hmm. like, basketball is not only my jam now, but it's it's got potential to take me far into my future. And I need I need to focus on this thing. So. So being in the military, it, it allows you to get exposed to a lot of different uh, sports, you know, because you're, you're having to make do and adapt to your situation. Um, I was bowling. I was playing table tennis. I was playing tennis, you know, so it, it, all the different sports I was exposed to, I was still doing all those things up until probably the seventh, eighth grade, you know what I mean? Um, so with the hand-eye coordination, all that stuff, it, it, all those sports really helped me. Um, football was huge for me you know you know I love football my brother was good at it um, I probably saw myself more of a baseball player than football um, but I did play football and it wasn't tight end it was quarterback and I wow, played nice. uh, and I was a defensive end only because you know back then, at that age you're playing both sides you're playing sure. both offense and defense so I always loved when guys would you know hit me hard you know, when I was a quarterback, because I was like, hey, I'm going to get you back when I get on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would say the first time, what, what ended football for me was um, I'm running. We had a great team. Um, John, I can remember him and I were the biggest football player. I was probably 6'5". He was about 6'3". He was a running back. You know, he probably fullback, but he was a running back for us. So him and I would run the, uh, I don't know if it's a play action or kind of the uh, the pitch play um and I kept it you know I kept it you know I was like man who knew that was gonna be my last play on the football field so I kept the ball and I'm running I'm down the sidelines I'm going this guy's coming and I go to stiff arm him right I stiff arm him uh right before the end zone I should have probably just dove or ran out of bounds I said no I'm gonna get this score because we needed to win next thing I knew I'm on the ground and uh Armor is broken, shattered, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm asking the coach, did, did I get it? Did I get the touchdown? <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
and uh, the coach said, uh, yeah, you got the touchdown, but you also got a broken arm. And so I'm headed, my parents hadn't even made it to the, to the game yet. You know, my parents both were working. And so my mom was like, just so upset, you know, terrified, gets to the hospital and she goes, I didn't know where you were. I got to the football game and you're gone. They tell me you broke your arm. I didn't know what you were doing. You're done with football. You're done. I'm not, I can't handle this. <laughs> so that ended my football career. Tried to play, uh, my, the tennis coach really wanted me to play tennis because I had a mean serve. Like I said, I was, you know, I, I played a lot of sports, you know, coming up in military. Yeah, so but I, wait, I, Andre, I just got to say, six foot eight Andre Patterson in short white shorts coming with a tennis racket <laughs> is the scariest thing I can possibly imagine. <laughs> By the way, Ward played high school tennis. So you're playing against Ward. Yeah. I mean, like, that is- I like your chances. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I didn't get to high school. I didn't get a chance to get there with tennis. It was all middle school. And so all right. even well, at that point, I was 6'5". I was still 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six there. And uh, uh, my, my coming, running to the net, that was my strategy. Serve hard, run straight to the net. You know, that was <laughs> That's the, the, the scariest thing I can think that. of. Scariest <laughs> thing imaginable. <laughs> so the coach was teaching me that. And so, um, you know, I enjoyed that. It just, what, it, didn't, it didn't grab me as much as baseball did. You know, and so I, I enjoyed baseball as long as I could until I found out um, throwing the baseball just wasn't um, going to be a long-term situation for me I had uh, you know some degenerative things in my shoulder mm. where it was, wasn't going to allow me to have a long career um, in mm. baseball and so that left that left ba- uh, basketball and and I went you know full steam into that at that point by the time I was a freshman uh, um, I had grew another three inches to s- two or three inches to six eight um, you know the coach um, you know at that time I got a chance to play on varsity with my brother he was a senior and um um, we didn't have a successful year that year, but, you know, we did pretty well. Um, they, they unfortunately fired um, that coach at the time and, and coach Aldridge came in. Um, and, and we, we, I tell you, we had a great three years together um, and he's no longer living with us now, but uh, I got a chance to really um, get impacted by him, you know, throughout my years at Cooper. And uh, let me tell you that that's when it got serious for me. It was when they, uh, we thought we played well. Right. And um, they ended up, firing that high school coach and I was like wow this is this is real this is just you know going out here and having fun we we affected this guy's livelihood um because of you know things we didn't accomplish and so that's that between that and the injuries is when it got serious for me with basketball before we leave um this kind of you brought up your mom and I think that a, a lot of times you know when it comes to athletes and this is probably unfair, but the dads get a lot of the credit for being the person that drove the, the the kid. But we also know there's a very special relationship that most boys have with their moms. Can you talk us through your relationship with your mom and what she meant to you growing up? Oh, wow. Um, strong. You know, she, she was probably, although, although my brothers and I were scared of our dad, we were terrified of our mom. <laughs> <laughs> So the teachers would always say, I'm going to tell your mother, you know, or neighbors. And we were terrified of that. That that was going to be just, just fire and brimstone. <laughs> that, that good old saying of, of, of tough love. You know, she was she was a rock. Uh, uh, she kept us straight. She wanted what was best for us. Um, she pushed us, you know, from an early age. She was she she was the, the reason why I had a, 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 an advantage academically. Uh, cause she started with me early. I probably could have, um, you know, 
graduated early, you know, like, a, uh, but she held me back just because of maturity. But academically, I was ahead, you know, way ahead. And I've, I've tried to instill that with our kids now. Um, so my mom from an early age really uh, invested in us um, and it paid off for all of us because uh, it made, made us who we are today. It gave us advantages to help us succeed today. Um, but man, let me tell you, it was fire and brimstone, boy. That, if, you, if you said, I, I'm going to tell your mother, boy, I was straightened up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're becoming a high school phenom, you know, word, word starts getting out. There's a kid in Abilene who's pretty darn good. Um, and some coaches start showing up. Uh, I guess I'm wondering, because we hear so much about it today in that process of recruiting, it's usually mom and or dad who's as important to that process as maybe even the player themselves or, or certainly the coaches around them. So as, as the hype starts to grow on, on not just the, the Texas stage, but nationally, how does that work with your family? How do they try to guide you or protect you into making what is going to be one of the first truly consequential decisions of your life to be? Wow. So that probably starts back into the, I guess, I guess you could call it AAU back then. Um, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Um, I want to say it was BCI during that time in Texas. And, uh, um, my mom let me play on a team, or my parents did let me play on a, a AAU team. Um, and let me tell you, um, that weekend tournament, uh, I want to say three or four teams probably approached my mom about, hey, we'll do this if you bring your child to our team. And so that's when my mom said, you know what? You're done with AAU. We don't want to deal with this stuff. Um, and so she did some research and uh, a camp called, I'm sure you guys know, Five Star. Five Star um, Camp, for Sparked sure. my mom's interest. And uh, my mom reached out to Garfinkel. And um, he was able to, you know, the, the cost was offset by me. I had summer odd jobs, right? Um, but uh, this was when I had a true job. You know, the off, to offset some of the, pri the pricing for uh, that camp and the travel and stuff there, um, Garfinkel allowed me to work in the kitchen, you know, uh, and so I was, I would stay there not for just a week. I would stay there for, um, two or three weeks at a time during the summers. Um, so instead of playing AAU, huh. I was at five-star was my AAU. Um, so I, you know, everybody looked forward to that one week where, you know, I don't, you know, Jerry Stackhouse would come to town, Vince Carter, whoever would come to town for that week. But I was also there that week where the international group came in. It was just no recruits there. <laughs> and, and, and so I would, you know, I would stay over the weekend while the next group would come in and I would do my job work there. Um, so that probably the, the one thing my parents did um, in steering, um, steering me away from some of those things that, that could um, make you look over your shoulder, you know, after your career is over with, or even during your career uh, on choices that you make. Um, and so I'm very thankful for that, that they did that. And, uh, and also I got a, a great experience at five star, you know, five star. I, I got a chance to talk with Billy Packard, you know, practice, um, you know, my, my public speaking, you know, we, we did stuff like that. You know, we would learn mm -hmm. from like, I'll never forget the, you know, being able to learn from Bob Hill, some of those NBA coaches that would come there and work with us you know, give us a hard time, but, but still work with us. You know, I remember station 13, uh, which was an extra station. Once you got through the other 12 stations, station 13 was a station uh, you could take off and go relax. But 
I enjoyed going there and working on some of the weaknesses that those coaches said I had um, during that time. Um, so it was, um, those were some very fond years, very tough because I was outside. It was on, it was on the concrete and you, and you were waking up early in the morning. And, 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 and I remember Vince Carter was my roommate and we'd look at each other and that's all right, here we go. Let's go out here. We got to go out here and stretch at like seven o'clock in the or you know, before seven o'clock in the morning. Cause if you got there at seven, you're going to run, you know? So, uh, those are some very, very fond years. And, and I, I, gosh, I tell you, I wish I could go back there sometimes. You know, it's one thing, by the way, when you said some schools were coming and offering, we know that's Kentucky. I mean, come on, let's not kid ourselves. We know they're the dirtiest. We get it. We get it. You don't have that's to That's not say. isolate them. That's not isolate them. Michigan All right, fine. Oh, yeah? Michigan too? I like it. Yes. Um, so um, it is one thing being a, a a big fish in a small pond and, and you are killing it in Texas, obviously at Cooper high school, but then you get to go to five star where your roommate is Vince Carter, who is one of the best NBA players ever. You know, mm-hmm. when you get into that world and you're exposed to now, you know, 50 Andre Patterson's or 20 Andre Patterson's, was it a wake up call for you when you saw the, the talent level rise or, or, or was it an easy transition? It was a wake-up call right away. Um, you know, like you said, I was a big fish. And, and it was an opportunity. Like, I, I got invited to a Nike um, uh, event also um, during the Allen Iverson story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and but, but because I was from Texas, a lot of us, Maceo Bast and myself and, a, you know, a few other guys, we had to, the, the, you know, usually they split up the guys and they'll, they'll mix up who, what teams you're on. But kids from Texas had to all be on the same team. Mm-hmm. And so you never really got a chance to, to mix and find out, you know, how good you really were. So five star provided that it provided uh, the opportunity to be humbled. (laughs) 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 And so uh, let me tell you, you know, Vince Carter was my roommate and we were nice with each other, but he was, you know, we were going to go at each other and he humbled me quite a few times, you know, getting dunked on. You thought I was a hard dunker. That guy, powerful (laughs) dunker, powerful. And, and he had that back then, you know, he, I'll never forget. He had a, there was a drill um, where Bob Hill wanted you to finish strong drill. And, it, and this was during the clinic where, you know, he would call volunteers to come out of the group to, to, to demonstrate this drill at five-star. And, um, you know, he's like, uh, uh, all right, Andre, come up here. Let's, let's, let's do this drill. And he, I'd go up to try to dunk and finish on him. And he'd take that broom and knock me down. You know, and I'd have to get back up and do it again. You know, eventually I broke the broom, but you know, then, you got, <laughs> then you got Vince Carter that goes up and, you know, he, he stays in the air long enough to just move the ball around the broom and just dunk it. And he did it on the first trial, you know, and I, I had to follow that. And so I had to just use my anger and break the broom, but after three tries, but um, I, I tell you, it was, it was a very humbling experience. Um, and and it, it definitely brought me back. It, it, it enabled me to go back to Texas with uh, some fuel. Uh, to work on, um, um, and I, you know, unfortunately, I had to take it out on some of those te- Texas kids who, you know, yeah. during the high school years. A quick side note: I know the the older I get, we're all about the same age here. Uh, the more and more, I'm just blown away by professional athletes playing at the the peak of their powers. When you saw Vince Carter as recently as last season, still playing in the NBA. How can you explain that? Is that just like f- 
freak genetic makeup that allows him to not age at the same rate as other normal human beings? I always go back to, you know, I was told um, probably early in my professional career, you've been blessed. You know, you've been blessed and that that talent that you've been blessed with and tools got you here. Now, what are you going to do with those tools and talent to help you sustain playing at this level or transcend and, and be one of the greatest? Um, Vince, to me, is, is one of those guys that was gifted. He was blessed with those tools and, and, and elite ability, you know, and athleticism. He did exactly what, you know, I was advised to do. Um, what are you going to do with it? Whether it's taking care of your body, whether it's, 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 it's doing the things, you know, making choices off the floor, you know, that's not going to inhibit you from maximizing what you're doing on the floor. You know, are you, you know, how are you going to, how much are you going to work on your game? Some, some people say, yeah, I work on my game. I work on my game. These elite guys, they really work on the hours. I mean, you guys see the videos of, of, of Kobe working at gym by yeah. himself. And, and it, you know, a lot of it, you know, people are saying, oh, he's just, he just, he's crazy. But what's the difference between these guys and those musicians or, uh, you know, for you guys, like the producers or executive producers are doing shows or the work that really goes into it. But people don't see the extra work you're willing to really put into it. And if they saw it, they'd be like, oh, that's crazy. But you're doing something you love to do. You're going to do those crazy things that help you sustain being at an elite level. Um, and so that, that's the appreciation I have for what what Vince has been able to do with the gifts that he was given. Do you do, do you, you think, think it's safe, Do you think it's safe to say that Vince maybe wouldn't be bragging about a black and white cookie at a deli? <laughs> I'm sure he has his own things that he's going to be bragging about. <laughs> Dessert, uh, desserts is my vice. That's there my you go. Vice. I love that. We are we are peas in a pod there, my friend. Um, <laughs> so let's get back. You're tearing it up in Texas. You're you're having the experience playing against elite level at five star camp, and now everybody in the nation knows about you. And you are at the top of every recruiting. You know, obviously, recruiting um, services weren't as sophisticated as they are now. But I mean, I remember reading the magazines back then, and what was it? Um, what was the blue ribbon, Bob? Yeah, Bob. I forgot Bob. Gibbons? Uh, Is it Bob Gibbons? Bob Gibbons. Yeah, yeah. Bob Gibbons. Yeah. You're at the top. Hoop scoop. Like you're you're always in the top ten. Um, and I mean, they're big names there. Zendin Hamilton, Felipe Lopez, who everybody thought was going to be, you know, the next Michael Jordan. I mean, big yeah. names. Rafe LaFrance. Um, and now all the schools are calling you, all the major ones, including Indiana University. Hmm. What is the first time that Indiana came into your life? And specifically, what is your memory of the first time you came into contact with Coach Robert Montgomery Knight? So I tell this story quite a bit, you know, when people ask. And somebody, I don't know who, but somebody wise. And I tell, I've told a lot of parents this, you know, over my years when I've, I've been asked by parents. Somebody told my, my mom, make sure you go to these schools that you're interested in unannounced. Oh, wow. That's different, to man. They, to see how they treat, you know, just to see how they treat you, you know, um, because a lot of times you're going to roll out the red carpet when they, they've already had it planned out. They know the guys coming. They got it all scheduled out. Right. But and so my, my family is, is, is the majority of my family is in the South Carolina area. This is uh, this is another story. I'm going off on a tangent. No, here. go for and it. We love my it. parents. My mom's side of the family is in Anderson, South Carolina. My dad's side of the family is in Seneca, South Carolina. Clemson is right in the middle. So I would, 
every summer I would drive through Clemson to get to my either my parents' house or my parents, you know, my my dad's grandparents' house and my mom's grandparents' house. So if Clemson had known that, they could have had a a, a very early road into recruiting me, but it, it never happened. Wow. Um, so um, sorry to go on that tangent. No, so I love that. Since my parents were in that area, um, we'd always drive home to visit, you know, family. And so uh, North Carolina's there. We drive there, uh, uh, which was was class. I tell you what, it was great. Uh, I enjoyed it. That was probably the school that I, um, from a young age, had committed to mentally, you know, right away. Um, and uh, Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace will always remind me of that choice. Uh, <laughs> you know, every time I see them. Uh, so we went there, Stackhouse, uh, you know, Coach Dean Smith, uh, man, I tell you, he called, you know, such as I wrote, the, the secretary was like, oh, uh, who are you? And I was like, and my mom was like, oh, we're, we're the Patterson family. We just want to see if we can take a look around at the facilities and stuff. Um, and, and the secretary didn't know, right? So she calls, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was Bill Ford at the time or Bill, Bill Guthrie. And, uh, uh, and they got Dean Smith on the phone. Dean Smith calls while we're standing there waiting. We're still st- in the. the You're just standing in the waiting. office, like in the we're in the lobby. There, <laughs> in the in the lobby, waiting, right? And uh, we're just sitting there waiting. Dean Smith finally calls. Take them straight to my office now. We're sitting there waiting in his office. <laughs> and he comes. He shows up. He calls a couple of recruits, which you know, not recruits, but uh, you know, current players, which is Stackhouse and Rashid, and those guys come in. And but you got a chance to see how they reacted, right? And so. Um, went to Duke next, went to North Carolina State next, the same thing, you know, got to end. Now my mom was like, okay, now we're going to go to places where, you know, I know you're not really fond of, but, I, you know, this is what I think is best for you. Um, went to Indiana. Um, Coach Knight comes, right? He wasn't calling any players. It was him. You, you know what I mean? It was him giving me all of the tour. Him and Dan Dock is giving me our family the tour. I saw how he treated my mom. Um, I saw not that the other coaches didn't treat my parents, you know, respectfully, but um, you just saw something special there. Mm. You know, um, you just saw how you saw you didn't you saw something that you didn't see publicly, you know, with him. And so um, I saw all that my parents felt all that. And so that's what led to a, a very, very early decision um, because she didn't want to make a decision off of me going to a, uh, a scheduled uh, recruiting visit. Right. She wanted us to make a decision based off of a raw um, experience with those colleges. So whoever gave my mom that that advice, that was genius. And that's what I've tried to tell parents um, throughout my years afterwards. When you said you got to see a side of Coach Knight that the public does not, could you be a little more specific about that? What, what was it about him behind the scenes you got to see that maybe none of us have? Oh, man, he cared, man. Um, you know, opening the door for my mom, you know, um, you know, keeping me in my place. How you let your mom go through there first? What are you doing? What, what kind of gentleman <laughs> are you? You know, just stuff like that, you know, in a joking fashion, you know, you know something my dad would have done right away, but he beat my dad to the punch, you know, and so um, just he cared. I, I want to say I had, it was this was during five stars. So we were coming from Pittsburgh. And so we, you know, this wasn't a drive home um, to my grandparents' house. This was after a five-star camp and we were driving back from Pitt back to Texas. So we stopped in Indiana and Michigan on the way back, you know, cause those are the two schools um, that I was interested in during that time, um, two other schools. 
And so he was, he was just so, I had a friend of mine who had a little brother, um, childhood friend who had a little brother at the time. I want to say he was probably seven, maybe six. So he was still small where you can, you can, you can carry him, you know? Um, and so he picked him up right away. You know what I mean? So it's like not even knowing him. He just, he, you just saw the human side of him that you just didn't see publicly that, that I really appreciated our family appreciated. And, and, and it wasn't uh, set up. He had no idea we were coming. Wow. I got to say that is the single best piece of advice that your mom got that all of these kids should get, because I agree when we, you know, we follow this stuff now because we're lunatics and we follow these official visits where they've got it all. I mean, there's an agenda. There is an mm-hmm. absolute agenda that is laid out hour by hour. And they're, I mean, we've heard they're cleaning up things, you know, <laughs> like they're putting stuff away. They're hiding stuff under beds in the players' dorms. Like they're doing all that. They're, it's not a real they're prepping, thing. They're prepping what they want the guys to say, you know? <laughs> right. It's exactly, you are exactly right. They're prepping what music is playing. You know, and now it's all about you put them in the graphic and you show the screen like with them wearing the jersey. What you did there, what your parents gave you there and your mom specifically is so simple and so genius. I mean, it really does help you make a real decision. So beyond the Coach Knight experience, it's also your first time in Bloomington, I assume. Mm -hmm. What did you think of just Bloomington? I mean, obviously you're talking to two people who would, you know, it's, it's the greatest place in the world to us, but coming from all the different places you've lived, what was your impression of Bloomington? Wow. Oh man, let me tell you. Uh, So during the summers, as you guys know, what it's like in in the Midwest, is just incredible. It's beautiful. You know, Uh, me living the, the probably the larger amount of my my life in Texas is flat, especially West Texas. Yeah. Flat, no trees, there's no color, there's no, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> you know, and I love Texas. I love it. You know, I, you know, everybody knows I love Texas, and and so um, that was the thing that caught my eye was the beauty, um, um, the hills, uh, the changing seasons. Um, the campus was humongous. It was huge. Um, all the buildings, the history, you know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't sure about the history and I still wasn't sure until probably, you know, second or third year at IU mm. that that was there, not only in sports, but, you know, in other things, you know, um, Kappa Alpha Psi was, was founded in, in Bloomington. You know, they had a house there. I don't think they, I don't think they do now, but they had a house there. And um, so that, that's, that was my experience going there. And the people were friendly. People knew their, their basketball. Like, you know, I hadn't even committed to Indiana and they were already, they knew exactly where I was, you know, what I did. They knew, they probably, they knew I was coming from five-star. I was five-star. I didn't have no five-star, you know, stuff on, you know, I was five-star camp because they were following what was going on at five-star. Um, just the knowledge of, of the people that they had for the game, I respected that too. Um, and so that was my experience, you know, and, and I liked how um, it was, it was, it was, although it was friendly and homey, it was business too. You know, they, they had expectations. They had accountability there. I, I, I saw that, you know, you know, Miss Buzz Kirpius, um, who was the academic advisor during that time for the athletic program, um, met her and my mom and her clicked right away. And, um, uh, it just she just gave you a feeling of knowing that you were going to be held accountable academically and you know now you have a partnership between her and coach Knight and 
makes you understand why he had such a graduation rate. And did you get a sense during that visit of of this sort of militancy that he came from West Point? He's this incredible student of history, particularly military history. Did you and your family feel that at all in that initial visit? Was that present in who he was as a person or a way the ran, he ran the program? Could you feel that? Or was that more incidental that he happened to have that background? You know, you didn't, I didn't feel that from him. I felt it around him, you know, mm. from the people that he hired, you know, from, from Buzz Kirpia to um, the AD at the time, um, um, you know, from coaching staff, trainer, Tim Garl. Like, uh, I felt it with the people around him. You know, our, our family felt it, you know. Um, there was accountability there. There was, there was a, a sense of, of we're going to, you're going to grow up. You know, you're not going to be coddled. Um, and, and that's what we felt. You know, from him, it was humility and, and caring and, and, and um, you know, attention to detail. Uh, that's what we felt from him. And so um, we already knew who, you know, who he was going, going there. You know, everything preceded, you know, that, that experience. So it was, it was very enlightening that we didn't feel that, that, that military uh, type um, personality from him, you know what I mean? It was the people around him and, and it was just, he was carrying the humility part of it, which was great. Wow. Well, you've given us a visual we've never gotten from any guest before, which is coach Knight picking up a child. Yeah. And, and I think that's really special. Like it just put something into my mind that had never been there before that obviously we revere the man, but that's such an endearing thing that obviously you can't fake. And, and if you saw him faking that, that would be a really terrible thing and you'd go running in the other direction. So it just immediately must make you feel like this would be a home where mm -hmm. there, there is the accountability and the love that you're used to. So how, how quickly after that is that decision made or the Patterson family oh. that that's where you're going to go. It was quick. Like, uh, it, I was done that summer. Uh, I think that was the summer before my junior year. I was our junior year, maybe senior year. I was done. I made that decision early. It was, it was done so early to the point where, um, I called all the other schools and said, I'm finished. And they were just like, are you sure you still got time to decide? <laughs> we still want to bring you in for a visit. <laughs> I go, yeah, I, I understand that, but re please respect my wishes. And um, that was the other advice, like make sure you call all the schools and let them know. And I, that's another thing I tell the parents, like make sure you call and let them know, um, you know, you're you know, out of respect, you wanted to make that call so they can move on to somebody else. Cause that's, that's the thing. A lot of parents um, get in a situation where um, they don't let these schools know. And so now these schools are having to scramble that, you know, from an early age, seeing my high school coach get fired, it makes you appreciate, you know, people that, that do these things for a living. And, mm -hmm. and so you, a lot of choices that you make affect um, somebody's livelihood, which affects their family, you know. And so uh, that was a good advice I had and, and was able to, and that's what uh, enabled me to continue to have the relationships I have today with Coach K, and Billy Donovan, and, and Coach Patino, and, and uh, you know, uh, Mike Bray, you know, I, I, I still, you know, have respect and those guys have respect for me because I handled myself during that time period. So 
Um, when I took my recruiting visit to Indiana, I was already done. I didn't, you know, they didn't have to do anything to, to, to sell me. It was done. It was just a matter of me saying, oh, man, this is, this is what this is what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you remember telling Coach Knight you were committing to him? Do you remember the moment? Oh, not the exact moment. Um, I, you know, I remember us both being happy and him saying, you know, I remember – uh, yeah, I don't remember because it was over the phone, right? So I don't remember like, you know, I wish it was like during this time, you imagine these kids saying FaceTime and hey, I'm coming to, to right, play for you. Right. And that, you know, imagine that interaction. So it was over the phone. So it was a, uh, I could tell he was happy. Dan Dockers was happy. Um, you know, my family, myself, we were happy. Um, and it was, all right, let's get to work. It, it, it allowed me, making that decision early, it allowed me to enjoy my senior year. And it allowed me to really fully go hard uh, rather than trying to have, uh, you know, something, in, you know, a distraction in my in my mind, not only a distraction for me, but a distraction for my teammates. Well, you come to Bloomington with, you know, you're coming to Bloomington at an interesting time. We're coming off of one of the great eras of Indiana basketball a couple of years after the greats of Calvert Cheney and, you know, Damon Bailey. And, and obviously Alan Henderson was still there when you came, but the, this is a pretty great era and it's kind of a reboot, if you will. And your mm-hmm. class kind of served as that reboot with, I mean, big time talent, you, Neil Reed, who was a McDonald's high school, all American. I mean, I don't know how many times in Indiana's history we've had two McDonald's high school, all Americans. I don't know if it's ever happened truthfully, but maybe one or two other times, Charlie Miller, who's highly ranked out of Florida, uh, Michael Herman, Robbie Eggers, um, you know, I mean, big time talent. Did you have a relationship with any of those guys before you got to Bloomington? Personal, maybe not, you know, you know, just playing against them. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of interactions playing against each other. Um, I probably spent more time with Neil prior um, because of the McDonald's All-American game. You know, you're there for a week together. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time together. Charlie, we played against each other quite a bit. And I had, you know, you know, just all the feats that he had in, in the state of Florida. Cause I mean, like Texas, Florida's huge. So to be able to be a leading scorer in high school in Florida was just like, this guy's putting in some work. Um, it, it was an exciting time. Uh, we got a chance to, to do a lot. We, we went on like a, I want to say a AAU. That was my first experience as an AAU team, right? We played and went down to Florida, I think, um, um, and, and played together. So that was, yeah, we, we traveled the state of Indiana playing in different events too. And so that was the time we had together before going and playing together at IU. Um, yeah, but imagine that. So, so now that, that really brings my memory back. I had committed so early that my recruiting trip was during the Calvert Cheney. You, you know what I mean? Like I, you know, so Calvert Cheney and Chris Reynolds were my host and, and I got a chance to really build a relationship with, that's how early I committed. They, they were still there. You wow. Know? So, wow. Um, yeah. Then that means you committed in 93. I mean, yeah. you committed in 93 that what was Calvert like? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that, that experience with those guys. Well, I mean, they were such great players. Um, but him and Chris Reynolds, I believe were roommates at the time. I believe so. Or they just hung out the most together. Um, what a yin and yang, you know, Chris Reynolds was kind of like the calming guy. I could tell he was like, I, I bet he was a great general on the floor, just calming the team, you know, no matter what. Um, and Calder was just as bigger than life. 
You know what I mean? No matter what I had accomplished at that time, like I'm, I'm like sitting here with Calvert Cheney. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this, this, this. He's he was probably the same height as me during that time. I was like, man, he's out here doing this work this big. My goodness. Um, <laughs> and so it, it was it was kind of an awe moment, bigger than light moment, a life moment, and um, um, while also calming too, because these were two guys that um, were very calm individuals. Um, were very um, gave me a calming sense of what I was getting myself into and the decision that I made. Um, so that was a great experience with those two guys. Yeah. Is there something where they're like, look, man, this is, this is not easy, but this is how, this is how you navigate this. Were they able to, to sort of say, this is how you're going to survive your time here because we all know that coach Knight was a master psychologist. And, mm. and a lot of times that was about breaking you down and building you up. Did you kind of get a cheat sheet for that? Not just with Calbert and Chris, but even when you're showing up and, and there's Brian Evans and Alan Henderson, can those guys give you advice to get you through the, the rough early years? Or do you really just have to go through it yourself to figure it out? Kind of a mix, you know, so during that time with, with Calbert and, um, um, and, and Chris Reynolds, that was an unofficial visit. So after I drove there from Five Star, I came back again on an unofficial visit, you know. Um, and then on my official visit, uh, the host was uh, Rob Foster, uh, um, uh, Mandeville, um, and Eggers. And um, um, Hodgson was the other guy that came in with, with our class, Rob Hodgson. Right. Hodgson, yeah. Yep. And so Eggers, those were the, my three hosts. Um, and they were giving me somewhat of a cheat sheet of what I was getting myself into. Um, you know, not only myself, but, you know, uh, I think Neil and I came in together on that, on that official visit. And, um, and so it was, um, it, I don't, you know, you can't really imagine or kind of prepare for what you're getting into. I don't care what it is until you experience it. You know, people can tell you all you want to, you can look at TV, you can look at pictures, um, until you experience it yourself. Uh, now it's whether or not you've been, you know, your overall, um, experience of life and what you've been taught in life, your foundation of how you're going to react once you get into that situation of, of, of what you're going to experience. So um, it was kind of a mix. Like, I, you know, got it kind of a cheat sheet from those guys and then you just had to just experience it. And now rely on what you've been taught all your life, how you're going to respond to it. So let's talk for a second about something that followed you your entire career at Indiana. Mm -hmm. And it started before you ever got there, which is mm -hmm. the expectation game. Oh, yeah. The expectations of you were that you would be the best player in the history of Indiana basketball. I mean, that 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 is the level. <laughs> was it really? Well, look, I mean, after you Calvert, were. After you, Isaiah? After I know, Paul, but, but, you know, look, I am Indiana the fans. Goodness? It's like we're, we're all about what's next, right? Because yeah, we yeah. want more. And I'm being right. somewhat facetious because the truth is, Cody Zeller had these same expectations. Romeo Langford recently had these same expectations. There have been several players over the years that come in with such hype. You were a national recruit. You weren't from the state. So the fact mm -hmm. that you chose us over Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and North Carolina, you had huge expectations on your shoulders, which for an 18-year-old kid is just unfair. But it is mm -hmm. what it is. Did you feel the weight of that early or ever at your time at Indiana? Maybe, maybe uh, after, after Brian Evans left, right? That's when you start feeling the weight. 
and and that's kind of the what Coach Knight prepares you for. You know what I mean? So that you mm-hmm. can carry the weight uh, once the, the 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 upperclassmen are gone because they're carrying the weight at that point. Right. Um, and it's not not necessarily the weight of of the expectation of me individually, right? It was the weight of uh, the the history of the team, the expectations mm-hmm. of the team, um, uh, the tra- you know, gosh, the tradition of the of the of the school, you know, from a basketball standpoint. So it was that weight um, that I carried, probably, um, like I said, after Brian Evans left, which started my junior year, because I, you know, being a freshman, I was young. You know, sophomore, I was, you know, I stepped up a little bit, but I was still young. Um, but I've always deferred. You know, I've always been a respectful person and I always deferred, which was probably uh, a fault of mine and maybe still is. I always deferred um, to Alan, you know, to, to Pat, um, you know, to I always deferred to the older guys, you know, let them have their time. But my time will come later. You, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I, after Brian Evans left and that's when I felt that weight. And uh, was I ready for it? Maybe not. But that's when I when I felt it. Well, speaking of Allen, here's one of the great all-time Indiana big men. As a senior, you're a freshman. What what are you learning from him about what it takes to be successful as an Indiana basketball player, really on and off the court, but especially on the court? It first started on the track, right? Um, I had I had always at that up until that point been an elite athlete, big, able to move, uh, do a lot of different things on the floor. So I naturally thought I was in shape. Because <laughs> 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 everything came so easy, right? Uh, so that first uh, week on the track, you know, this is preseason. So, you know, we're just doing some runs and then we're going to go play pickup ball, you know. And then at the end of the week on Fridays, we're going to do a campus run. <laughs> and so that first week on the track, you know, uh, it's it's a warm up. We're going to run a mile for a warm up, you know. And I'm like, oh, this is not too bad. I'm, uh, I can make it, you know. Then we're going to do this next drill called the Indian Run. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Indian Run, but you're running in a single file line, and you have a medicine ball. The first person with, you know, at the front will pass the medicine ball all the way back, right? The last person in the back of the line will have to then sprint that ball all the way up to the front. So depending on the pace of the group, you know, depending on the pace of the group, you know, that sprint to the front could be harder than, than, than some. And so uh, I quickly realized how I was in the, I was in bad shape, you know? Wow. And so Alan, you know, I don't know if it was preparing me for, for Indiana, but it was preparing for me for being a basketball player. If I wanted to reach my potential, you got to get in shape. Otherwise, Otherwise, you can only go so far, and that next person that's in shape is going to just overpower you, going to just take over. You you might last long the first the, the first half of the first half, but then after that, you're you're done. You know, <laughs> and so that was probably the one thing that that Alan instilled in me um, that first week once I realized that I was not in shape. Wow! By the way, I recently saw an interview with Tyson because you know he's about to come back and have this exhibition fight against Roy Jones Jr. And I saw something where he talked about, he said, there's a real difference between being in shape and being well-conditioned. He's like, yes. in shape, you look good in your clothes. 
Yeah. Well conditioned <laughs> means you can go fight for ten rounds. Like, and he was like, "I'm not in. Sh- I'm not well conditioned. I'm okay. I'm in shape. My clothes look good." But, yeah. but it's funny that that you bring that up. So, you're practicing now. Coach Knight is your coach. Uh, how intense are these practices compared to what you're used to? Uh, intense at the beginning because I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, what, what was the phrase you said? Not, not conditioned. Shape, but, uh, you weren't conditioned. conditioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very challenging early on because I wasn't in condition. Um, once I got in condition, not so bad. Once you're in condition, now, now you know you're at the point where this is where Coach Knight wants you. You know, now you're in you're in condition. Now it's helping you um, grow mentally. You know what I mean? Um, not only as a basketball player, but as a person, because you know. Uh, you're going to basketball is basketball, you know, you're going to have adversities, but at the end of the day, it's basketball um, life. You're going to have adversities. That's going to really knock you down. Now, what, how are you going to uh, react and respond? And so once you get in, in uh, condition, now you're where coach Knight wants you. Now he's going to help you grow mentally. And so that was the challenging part was working through the mental stuff. You know what I mean? And, and, and it wasn't so challenging for me because I grew up in a strict household. Right. Right. But um, this, the, the hard part for me was, you know, coach Knight wasn't going to punish you individually. You know, if, if, if the team is not doing what it's supposed to, everybody's going <laughs> to, wow. everybody's going to suffer. And so that's the part I had to get past. Um, cause being young, you're only thinking about the individual, you're not thinking about the team. And so, you know, I'm like, why do I have to run, you know, for this guy, you, you know what I mean? And, and so instead of, uh, pushing that guy, helping him, and that's what he, you know, a lot of people are like, what did you get from Coach Knight? He helped you. He helped me um, be more selfless. You know, uh-huh. um, he helped me be more selfless. He helped me look at uh, um, even the even look at the good through the bad. You know what I mean? Like as much as he got frustrated with me and me not re- reaching my potential, he never gave up. He kept trying to push, not only with me but other players. He always tried to get the most and the best out of you, no matter. Uh, no matter how scuffed up the diamond was that was in the rough. You, wow. you know what I mean? And so uh, that's the impact Coach Knight had on me. Ward, real quick, one more follow-up here, because I just want to dovetail on what you said before about how it was eye-opening when you got to five-star camps and you're playing against Vince Carter and and the level of player that you're playing against. But those guys are all about your age, too. So they're, you know, physically there's there's and by the way, physically, you are more mature than most at at your age. You are well built and you came in with with kind of what they would call a college ready body. Right. 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 Now you're a freshman and you're playing against 22 year old Alan Henderson, who's going to be (laughs) in your pro in the NBA. And I would imagine you're guarding him in practice. Yeah. What how good was Alan? Oh, he was, I mean, you know, he was so fundamentally sound. And so like he, if you thought you saw weakness, you thought you were taking something away from him. He had a counter right away. Um, You thought you were taking away the right hand, a strong hand. Now he went to his left. You know, you thought you were taking away uh, him, you know, boxing him out. No, he had to move to, you know, whether it was a swim move or a spin move to, to gain position in order to get an offensive rebound. Um, he was so fundamentally sound. Now you, now you couple that with his athleticism, you know, and, and his basketball IQ. And it just made, it made me grow as a player having to go against him in practice every day. 
Uh, I hope I was able to push him. You know, I hope it wasn't so easy for him so that it prepared him for each game, which is what you want. You want to have a roster where uh, your players are pushing each other so that they're prepared. You know, you want your bench players. You know, I think about it now in team building with where I'm at. You want you want your bench players to, to push the starters. You don't want it to be an easy uh, cakewalk. Otherwise, they're, not, they're going to be surprised once they get to the game. So um, hopefully I was able to do that for, for him. Um, you know, guarding him in practice because he definitely did it for me. He helped me raise my level of play. You remember some of the aha moments of of being in there and learning how to play basketball the way a a true genius, and we don't use that word lightly, but Coach Knight is one of the all-time great basketball minds. Do, do Do you remember a few moments of like, Oh, this is, uh, this is how you play at least in this style for this man. And in a way you'd never thought about playing basketball before. So I, you, you grow up, especially high school, some of the AAU camp, you're growing up timeout or practice here. We're going to do this set. You know, you know everybody kind of copies. It's a copycat cat, you know, league, whether it's college pro, whatever down screen, cross screen, the old flex, right? Everybody knows the, the, the different plays. Yeah. You're not really being a basketball player. You're just making sure that you are, are uh, executing the lines that you saw on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, being there with him and just learning, like I was waiting for that. I was waiting to see, okay, he's going to draw this line. He's going to, you know, he's going to put the, well, he did put the numbers up there one through five, but there was no lines. It was reads. You know, whether it was offensively or defensively, you're reading defensively, you're reading the offense and what are you taking away? Offensively, you're reading the defense and taking what the defense gives you. You know what I mean? Rather than fighting against it and trying, you know, like I said, I took away uh, Allen's right hand, he went to his left. So that was, you know, that, that really opened my eyes. I was like, man, it's just reading the game. You know what I mean? And so it gave me a head start, um, you know, throughout my career, you know, each, 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 you know, stop on my journey throughout my career after Indiana was so much easier for me because he taught me how to read the game on both sides, wow. you know, like, um, in a story, it was on pod, it was on a the low podcast. Uh, um, I want to say a few weeks ago, uh, where Stan Van Gundy was an assistant coach in Wisconsin and I, and him and I, we met each other and he, he will remind me of the story, but he said the story nationally on low podcast. <laughs> that, uh, you know, his last year there, you know, my freshman year, I think it was the last Big Ten game, um, I made four three-pointers. It was four for four against Wisconsin, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, it was four for eight for the season. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that was because I wasn't supposed to shoot threes. You know what I mean? At that time. But Coach Knight, all through that whole time was read what the deep take what the defense gives you read the defense you know learning the game so at that point I had adjusted they were they were you know making it difficult for Allen Henderson right and so me playing along with Allen Henderson saying hey the defense is giving me the shot I'm gonna take it I practice it and I made four threes you know we end up I think we ended up winning the game too like so it's like that was so important. Like I didn't realize that opened up the, the game of basketball for me in such a way that it's still, you know, I still use it today. Well, you decide to come to Indiana. The season starts in the wintertime, Thanksgiving time. So it's Bloomington. It's balmy. It's getting cold. It's frigid. 
And that's how you're going to start your college career. But that's not exactly how you started your college career. You start your college career by going to Hawaii and playing in the Maui Invitational. Uh, It's your first game action. Uh, There's got to be a lot of excitement. I would imagine some butterflies. The tournament did not turn out the way that anybody who's a fan of Indiana or a player would have wanted it to. But what do you just remember from your first opportunity to play and wear the Indiana jersey getting to go to Maui? I'm all about the prep work, you know, the preparation. So the first thing I remember was the preparation leading into that game, you know, against uh, Rick Majerus in Utah and, and Keith Van Horn, you know. And so, um, you know, Coach Knight, you know, Alan Henderson was, was at that level where he was he was in condition. So Coach Knight was, was working on him mentally. And so he was like, you're not good enough for the league. You're not good enough for the league. And and, and, and Allen at this point was at a level mentally where, you know, he was, he was responding, you know, he was like, no, Keith Van Horn doesn't know what he's getting into, blah, blah, blah. So that preparation week leading into, to, uh, to that, that Maui tournament was just like, wow, that opened my eyes and just the prep work that led up to that, you know, who's wearing Keith Van Horn's jersey, who's all the stuff leading up to that. We get there and, and, uh, you know, we didn't execute the preparation, right? You know, it didn't it turn out how we thought it was going to turn out. You know, ended up being a great game for Keith Van Horn. Yeah. Um, and so what I remember was the film session. Next. So it's the details. Like, you know, I, I saw the details that, that you know, you know, in my first visit, my first raw visit with Coach Knight, I saw all the details he paid attention to. And now it, it, it goes into once I'm there, he's paying attention to the details. We're watching film. Didn't we say he was going to do this? Well, why didn't we do this? Didn't we say they were going to do this? Well, why didn't we do this? So it, it was like a re- now it's a reflection. Now that process is carried all the way into the point where you're reflecting on what uh, what you didn't execute. And so that that right there was what I saw. Even being young, I was like, wow, he, this prep work. Now here's a reflection period on how you learn from your mistakes. Even the even the good stuff that he would show the clips. Of, you learn from that. Hey, if you had it did this, this would have opened up for this guy. If you had it did this, that you would have been able to read the defense and make this pass or set this screen. And so um, that's what I remember the most um, was, was that. That was eye-opening for me because I was just like, wow, it wasn't just us just missing the shot and, you know, missing the dog. Right. It, was, it was all the prep work and the, and the reflection period afterwards. And we, we were told by several players that coach Knight would have you use notebooks and and write mm. journals for basketball so i'm guessing in these film sessions you have those notebooks and especially when you're a freshman and a guy like coach Knight is throwing all this at you in film sessions are you just like getting a cramp in your hand trying to write it down and then you, <laughs> do you do you take it to to your room and really have to like studying for a test go through it again and again to try to get it in there is that how that would kind of work for you no I'm a freshman. Um, I got the book in my hand. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more like, oh my goodness, he's he's going at Allen. He's he's going at the senior. He's he's, he's oh, I better I better write that down. I better write that down. Oh man. Oh what, what? Oh he's 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 reenacting this. Oh my goodness, look what he's doing. Oh, I better write. You know, I'm a freshman. I'm more paying attention to what's going on, and 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 then I get back to my hotel room and I'm trying to write all that stuff down, and I don't remember it. So. Um, like later on, you know, as I got older, I, you know, I paid more attention and wrote, wrote down, you know, live at that moment in the moment of writing down, taking notes. But those first two years or that first year, for sure, I was just like, oh, boy, look at, look at this. And 
and, and I'm not writing the stuff down, you know? So Plus, it's always um, weird to write the F word that many times. That's always <laughs> strange. That, that's a weird position to be in. Well, no, it's just, you know, it's F dot, dot, dot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so your freshman year starts, um, again, a lot of new talent on the team. Uh, you come back after getting killed by Utah. Uh, you have a really good game in your second game against Chaminade. You go for 14 points and nine rebounds. But the team is off to a rocky start. You're two and four. Um, but you then play a team that truthfully is the Achilles heel for Indiana, especially mm. in this era. And that's Kansas. And Kansas mm. at the time is ranked number three in the country. I believe they have mm-hmm. Rafe LaFrentz on that team, who is always with you kind of in that ranking of, of recruits. And what do you remember about that game? Gosh, you know, that, that was a difficult game for me. Um, I ended up having to get an MRI after that game. Um, I can't remember the guard's name. That It was a loose ball. Uh, he dove for the loose ball, dove into my right leg, and I've been having meniscus, meniscus issues ever since that game. So that's my recollection because it didn't end at that game. I was great. We won the game. But after that great win, my, you know, I was on the way to the hospital to get my MRI on my knee. Do you realize that in that game you played nine minutes but had eight rebounds in nine minutes? Wow. You had eight rebounds in nine minutes. I think you were second on the team in rebounds. Obviously a huge win, but it's interesting because of the knee injury because later in your career you, you wear a brace on your knee, which, which you did not. And I was curious about, you know, you rack up a lot of minutes playing college basketball and all the practices. Do you think that that knee injury um, limited you throughout your career? Possibly, you know, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. Right. You know what I mean? Like um, you saw the things I was able to do after that injury. Yeah, you did okay against Duke. <laughs> you know, and so um no, that didn't that didn't hinder me. Now, did it lead to some, you know, future injuries? Possibly, but it, I, I wouldn't say it hindered me. Okay, I I wanted to actually go back a couple games to see if it at all affected how you guys performed against Kansas. You witnessed and participated in your first Indiana Kentucky game. Now mm. you're you're a kid up from Texas. Maybe you hadn't heard. What was it like? You guys went to Freedom Hall. You got your first experience in that rivalry. He came out on the wrong end. And we have heard about how Coach Knight reacts when we lose to Kentucky. Was that was that an eye-opening experience, both in terms of what the rivalry meant to Coach and what it meant to the two schools and the two states? Oh, man. Well, first of all, like you said, I was from Texas, right? And I had no idea. Uh, there were several rivalries. Um, um, in the state of Indiana. And so I had no idea what I was getting into with that. Um, and yes, uh, it didn't turn out too well for us at Freedom Hall. Um, you know, it was, it was some, you know, some post-game comments. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of that F, a lot of F dot, dot, dots. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, another uh, experience where I probably wasn't writing down stuff in the moment in my notebook. Um but yeah, that just led to um, the buildup, right? You know, now you can imagine what the practices were like, you know, leading up to the next game. You know, it, it, when you're young, you're not thinking about, imagine us having rivalries as players, right? In the state or the schools having rivalries right now. Think about Coach Knight, right? Coach Knight is having a rivalry against Rick Patino. You know, Coach Knight is having a rivalry against Rick Majerus. 
you know, because he's a competitor too. Like Coach Knight was a huge competitor now. And so like, he's like, you know, he, he can't get out there and do it for us. You know? <laughs> and so uh, the practices were just, it was, it was very intense practices. Um, you know, there was no, you know, no, no management of, of no load management. So, you know, we went into that game um, just, just like, you know, we're going to, everything we went through, too bad for you guys. You're coming into our house and let me tell you, um, good luck. <laughs> right. And so that, that led, that led to that, you know, you know, that game, that great game against Kansas. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, I'm sure coach Knight felt good about, you know, going against Roy Williams and doing that. It's funny. We've, we've talked to a couple people who have walked us through what happens after a loss that is really meaningful. And there've been a couple people that have said that when they went into that next game, we heard this from like Todd Leary who talked to us about going, losing to Butler to start the season and then playing Kentucky and basically telling us we had to win the Kentucky game. Like there, like not even a choice. It was going to happen because we could not sustain what happened the week before. Like what? So, so there was no choice. We were going to win that game. And it feels like maybe something similar happened here uh, post Kentucky before Kansas. Like, you guys were like you said. Sorry for you guys, but we're just going to do our thing here. Right. No question. I mean, I mean, like I said, Coach Knight was a competitor now, so he was not going to have to face the media, post game media, uh, and face you know having to you know not have those bragging rights against Roy Williams. You know what I mean? Like he just wasn't. So you know, good luck. Well, <laughs> you got the bragging rights. It was an up and down season, but you did finish uh, third in the Big Ten with an eleven and seven record. Go to the NCAA tournament, your first taste of NCAA tournament. Did not turn out great, both from a team perspective and personally was not a great game for you. Mm -hmm. So you end your freshman year kind of on a a big down note. Um, And it was Alan Henderson's last game playing at Indiana. So again, it's a changing of the guard that is happening now. And it's kind of one more person from that last era of Indiana that's gone. What do you remember kind of leaving that freshman year and and mentally preparing yourself in the off season for what's to come. The feeling that Alan had, not only Alan but Pat had, um, you know, they can no longer put on the Indiana jersey. They can no longer represent um, IU basketball in the tradition. Um, that feeling um, left left a lasting impression on me, um, and 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 you know how I contributed to that being their last game. Mm-hmm. You know that that. That, that was that was that was huge for me. Um, um, and so I, I tried to carry that forward into that next year and and not give Brian Evans, you know, that feeling, um, you know, wanting to make him um, be happy about, you know, his his time there and going out. So um, that was the last impression for me. You brought up Pat. And obviously, that's a very unique teammate to have. <laughs> I was wondering what what did you take from your time with Pat as to how to play for Coach Knight, aka Dad, in his case, mm-hmm. and also maybe more importantly, what did he teach you about having a good time while you were a student athlete in Bloomington? <laughs> <laughs> First question: um, Not to back down, stand your ground. Uh, make sure you put the work in so that you can stand your ground. Um, uh, that's what I learned from Pat. He didn't back down from his dad and he put in the work. 
Um, and so that, that, that was a very, very good teaching lesson for me. Um, and then that's how you gain respect from Coach Knight. You right. put in the work and then you stand your ground. Um, ooh, the parting, uh, you know, I only had one year with him. Uh, um, you know, probably probably kids. for the best. For the best, it was only one year. <laughs> I mean, college kids, you know, they, they, it's, it's, it's an experience that not everybody gets to experience. Uh, and if you do, especially on a campus and, and being a part of a, a tradition school like Indiana, um, you're going to have a good time. And so, you know, he did it respectfully. Um, I can't, you know, account for, you know, some of the different experiences that he probably had on campus, but um, <laughs> it's no different than any other college kid, you know, during those times in their life. All right. So now uh, you're into your sophomore year. The unquestioned leader of this team is Brian Evans, who goes on to have just a sensational year, Big Ten Player of the Year. We have gotten to know Brian a little bit and consider him just one of the great characters of all time. But but I think there's a real dichotomy here because he's got a huge personality and he is a character, but he's also very businesslike when he was a player. Um, from so So walk us through a little bit of what we don't know about Brian Evans. Let me. How can I sum that up um, for you guys? Uh, I'm trying to give a story. Um, it was a story. Uh, it, was, it was a game where he didn't shoot it very well, right? And I don't think anybody shot it very well on the team. And um, uh, Coach Knight said, "I don't want to see anybody shooting threes, especially you, Evans. I don't want to see you shooting threes." And so, you know, it, it, probably the, the, the pet peeve of a coach, right? Because I coached for a little bit. And so it was a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, wow, I know what they went through. Um, when your team has a bad game and then a, a good player has a bad game, you definitely don't want that good player doing the things that he did bad, good the next day of practice, right? And so it's like, don't, I don't want to see a three-point shot this whole practice, blah, 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 blah. So Brian starts making threes, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's at the end of the day, he was taking what the defense gave him. You know what I mean? Right. Like we, unfortunately, you know, we were taking advantage of what Coach Knight said, and so we were backing off. You're you know? backing <laughs> off. <laughs> we were cheating the system a little bit defensively, and so he started raining threes and making them. And so, uh, you know, Brown wasn't going to stop. He was going to continue to do what he was taught: take what the defense gives you. And um, and you know, unfortunately, he was told to, to leave practice. He had to go to the other end and just shoot shoot threes until I tell you to stop. And so he shot him and made him. I mean, you just we we got distracted. We almost couldn't finish practices. He was just, it was, I mean, he probably had a couple of series where he would make 15 to 20 in a row. You, you know what I mean? It was wow. just like, whoa. And so you really had an appreciation of how good of a shooter he had. And guess what? He just had a bad night. You, you know what I mean? And so um he just he didn't let stuff distract him. He didn't let stuff um, you know, swim. He was gonna do him. You know what I mean? He was a lethal three-point shooter. Um, and that's what I'm going to give you. You know what I mean? You know, whether you like it or not. You know, yeah, I'm going to have some off games, but I'm not going to let that deter me from being who I am. By the way, just to tell you, to we talked to Brian a little uh, about you. And uh -oh. he just couldn't, he couldn't stop raving about how great of a guy you were. And he said to me, which I think is probably the best compliment that any player could give another player, especially when it's upperclassmen versus lowerclassmen. Brian said, I wish I had two more years to play with Andre. 
Hmm. So that uh, you, you made a mark on him that, that has lasted to this day. Um, he also said there were some inappropriate stories that he wasn't going to share with me, but we'll just leave it at that. I don't know what that's about, but we'll just leave it at that. I mean, we'll just move on from there. Ward, Ward I stepped on you. You were about to say something. Well, I'm just, I'm just looking at how you guys have to start this next season. Oh. And it's really not fair for, for any team, but within the first, what, eight, nine games, it's Duke and then Connecticut in the Great Alaska mm. Shootout. Then, mm. then it's Notre Dame, a slight reprieve after those two losses, but then you got to go against number one Kentucky. And yeah. then you've got, what, like maybe a week, week off or two, actually. And then by that point, Kansas is number one, and you got to go play them. Unfortunately, against those four other great programs, you guys have a goose egg. And I'm just wondering, rather than breaking down each one of those, you know, miserable losses, because any loss to those damn teams is miserable. How do you come out the other side of that? What, what, what's, what's it like going through that? And then once those, that ends up being 0-4, where do you guys go from there? How do you, how do you move forward? Well, that's another one of, of Coach Knight's gifts is, is helping you overcome adversity, you know, and responding and bouncing back. You know, we had a goose egg, right? Um, you know, we didn't play the way we were supposed to, but are we going to lay down? You know what I mean? Are we going to lay down? No, we're going to we're going to work. We're going to put the work in. We're going to put the prep work in and, 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 and battle and make the best of the rest of the season. Um, gosh, I remember that Kentucky team. I think they had, what, nine draft like five to 10 draft picks that year. I want to say, right. It was unbelievable. Stacked. Stacked. The best, the best <laughs> money could pay for. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> my, my, my dad used to say that, uh, my dad used to say that like, yeah, it's easy at Kentucky. They don't have to worry about a salary cap. <laughs> that was a professional team. That's right. <laughs> For sure. And then, you know, imagine the, you know, what was paid back after that. But, um, but no, it was, that was, I'll tell you, that was tough. First of all, we went to Alaska, you know, yeah. great experience, you know, it was, you know, during the winter, you know, just like Iceland, yeah. a lot of darkness. It's a lot of darkness <laughs> in Alaska. So, you know, not the place you want to be in the wintertime. Uh, and, but yeah, it was a tough run. Um, great tournament. Uh, always, you know, was honored to be able to play in that tournament. You always saw it growing up. And so, um, unfortunately, we weren't successful there, um, but it, it helped prepare us for you know later on down the road for sure. So let, you you've talked a lot about Coach Knight working on the mental side and and being mm-hmm. mentally tough. Look, it's no secret not everybody could play for Coach Knight, and mm-hmm. starting this year, this your sophomore year, you start to see the 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 dark side of that kind of thing. You know, uh, Rob Hodgins has left. Michael Herman has transferred. Uh, and then you have the unfortunate incident that happens with Sharon Wilkerson that year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've gotten to know Sharon a little and his story and kind of the redemption story of Sharon and what he's done with his life is, is inspiring. Um, and not to take away from the bad stuff that, that happened and, and he wouldn't excuse it away either. But you guys as a team, you're going through a five and five start. You're playing good teams and getting beat. And you have, you know, two of your friends are gone now. And then Sharon gets kicked off the team. 
How are you dealing with all of this just from, you're a kid and seeing this kind of real life stuff play, play out around you. What do you remember from that time and just dealing with that? I mean, you're not, you're not really dealing with it. You know, you, like you said, we're young, right? We're just, at that point, you're, you're, you, you start worrying about yourself rather than coming together as a team. Um, I, I think if, if I, in retrospect, if, if, if I could go back, I, you know, hopefully we, we would have maybe bonded together more as a team as opposed to looking out for, for, for yourself and hoping that, hey, not me, you know what I mean? And so right. when you're young, that's, that's your mindset. Oh, it's not me, you know, whether it's Coach Knight getting on you or whether you're getting in trouble with, you know, outside of basketball, it's not me. And so unfortunately it was just, um, you know, a situation where I don't really know all the details. I didn't know, we didn't all know all the details at that time. And so uh, with Rob and, and, and Michael, it was, you know, that happens a lot, you know, kids transferring, probably not as much during that time, but it does happen a lot. Um, and with, uh, with Sharon, it was just unfortunate. You know, you just never know what, you know, what's going on in somebody else. That's another thing too. You never know what's going on in somebody else's world outside of basketball um, or outside of work, you know, for that nature. And so, um, that was eye-opening right there. It's like, whoa, you know, you got to really make some some good choices uh, because reality sets in. You know, you make yeah. a bad choice. Now here are the repercussions of it. And so um, I'm glad to hear that uh, he's bounced back and, and have a redemption story. Usually, at least the way the game is now, maybe you have one or two tough games before the conference starts. And then the conference is really where the rubber meets the road. And we all know how much Coach Knight wanted to win the Big Ten every year. And mm -hmm. as you guys start racking up these wins, you start asserting yourself a little bit more. You, you, you start getting into the thick of the conference race. Is it is it something you're ever thinking about where you're at in the Big Ten standings? Or is it just day by day, I just want to survive this practice. We just want to win this game, this possession. So it, it was it was game by game, practice by practice. Um, you know, um, of course, you had the overall goal, right? You knew what that goal was. Um, but you, you almost had the – you couldn't skip steps. You had to live in that moment. Um, during that time and then as a kid you definitely living in that moment <laughs> during that time I just want to survive this practice and I want to win this game so the next practice is not so hard <laughs> and so, and so um, I, I tell you you know it, it definitely was a, a testament to like I said the prep work the daily prep work um, and, and then having to execute it um, you know whether there's a distraction or adversity that hits so you finish that year 13 and five, and you kind of have a, a couple breakouts here, especially against those Buckeyes, where you go off for 26 points and 13 rebounds. We, mm. we hear a lot with all athletes, whether when they get to the college level or when they get to the pro level, that ultimately for the ones that have some success, the game does slow down. We hear that, you know, mm. all the time. Is that what started to happen for you in this year? Do you remember that happening? Was this sophomore year? Yes. Mm -hmm. Sophomore year? Yeah, so, um, like, you know, like I said earlier, I, I was still deferred. You know, Brian Evans was the guy. You know, I you know, never – team player, you know what I mean? You know, I, sometimes looking back, I wish I was a little more selfish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, but I was, I was deferring and, um, you know – having those breakout games was probably moments where I had to step up, you know, because the attention was so much on Brian, you know, just like the attention was on Allen the year previous, you know, somebody had to step up. And so 
I attribute it to that, you know, more than anything. Um, you know, just just stepping up, even though I was deferring at the time throughout the season. Well, the year ends, like I said, 13 to five. You do finish second in the Big Ten that year, which is pretty remarkable considering how the season started. You have a, another first round loss to Boston College. You have a really good game, 13 points, 12 rebounds to a pretty good Boston College team. But obviously, not the result that anybody wants at Indiana. Two years in a row of first round losses. This isn't great. And now Brian Evans is gone. And really, the team is, is yours and Neil's, truthfully, mm-hmm. you know, now going into your junior year to McDonald's High School All Americans, a lot of expectation. And now, no bona fide star senior. It is it is your guys' team. Um, what what and uh, an influx of new talent, especially guard talent, Mike Lewis, yeah. AJ Guyton, and a big man to go along with you in Jason Collier, who yeah. comes in with huge expectations, not dissimilar to the expectations that were put upon you when you came. Oh, I'm sorry. I also might note. Big time theater recruit Ward Roberts showed up on campus that uh, year. Yeah. So I don't know how much that affected what you guys were doing. Maybe yeah, not oh, so wow. much. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is the answer. Ward Roberts. Um, <laughs> no, I wish I had a, I don't know if you guys did background. Like I, that arts side is something that I wish I had of uh, participated in more um, because that's a side of me that, that, that I had growing up that I wasn't able to tap into because I just went right into back. You know what I mean? I really dived into basketball. Now that I was torn for, for many years there. This is something we wanted to get into. So let's do it now. you got some pipes, man. I believe even Uh-oh. coach Knight is on record at saying, you know, if you'd done some real training, you'd have yourself a world-class singing career. So can you talk a little bit about how how you did sing? Like high school, were you able to do that at all in Bloomington? Was it just in the shower? Do you do it now? Because I think the world maybe maybe needs to hear about this. Everybody talks about Victor having a great voice, but this oh, was this was news to us <laughs> that you can really bail. No, I you know I'm not going to put myself on the pedestal with with Victor. Victor's a very good singer. Uh, I appreciate his ability there. Uh, I grew up in you know in the church, singing in the church, singing in this uh, singing group in the church. Um, high school, I was in choir. Uh, claim the fame in high school is we, we 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 were good enough to where we were able to perform at Carnegie Hall in New York. Um, wow! Wow! Um, so uh, how was that? Music, how was that? that? That was incredible. Let me tell you, um, uh, we had a big choir. Um, and we, the, the instructor did a good job of, of making sure to maximize all of our, our you know, our strengths. And, and we were locked in and we had a good year and, and culminated in being able to perform at Carnegie Hall uh, where we nailed it. You know, it was good. Standing ovation, everything. And, and we had a nice little, you know, party afterwards. You know, I guess the, the amount of partying that high school kids could do yeah. with adults. Um, but it was great, great experience. Um, and then from there, you know, um, was that group, by the way, was that the Harmony in Motion group? No. So it, it, it eventually turned into Harmony in Motion. The group okay. originally was just, you know, a couple of kids in church just, you know, singing, you know, gospel hymns and, you know, whatever. And then it turned into Harmony in Motion where we were singing, you know, songs from whether it was Boys to Men or, or yeah. uh, uh, you know, who were the group's new edition during that time. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so... Um, yeah, so it turned into harmony emotion at that point. Um, and then when I got the, once I got the college coach, like you tease me all the time. And, and, and while at IU, we did a commercial and I still have it. So VHS take, how about that? 
I still have it. Yeah. We did a, a commercial. We sang the national or the school song in Japanese. And so they made me sing it. And uh, the team were humming the tune in the background. And so <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, so, so that was a great experience. Who are your who are your go-tos when you're by yourself or on your iPhone? What what are you listening to? Ooh, uh, gosh, Boys to Men, obviously, because so I, I know the lyrics because we sang so many of their songs growing up. Um, so Boys to Men, Jagged Edge, um, you know the groups. Um, um, and yeah, wait, with voice... ba- ba- Babyface, that's outside oh, my range. Brian McKnight, that's outside my range. But I do try and crack every now and then. <laughs> but wait, uh, boys to men, what's our favorite song? Are we on bended knee? Are we the end of the road? Like, what? Which one are we going with? Uh, end of the road. Um, on bended knee was good, but end of the road is my song because the movie's so right? hard. Yeah. To say goodbye. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to get you to do this uh, little something. I'm not going. I'm not going. <laughs> it should be noted that we may be talking to the only man who not only sang in Carnegie Hall, but also played basketball in the Carnegie Hall of Stadiums, Assembly Hall. You know anybody else who got to perform both on both those stages? I don't know. Uh... I never thought about it like that. That's 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 a good one. Thanks for that one. That's a good one. That is good. By the way, I was going to go to a man who nailed it and crushed it at Carnegie Hall and then just went not that many blocks south and performed at Madison Square Garden <laughs> in the preseason NIT his junior year. Look, we got to get into this because you play Evansville, you hit a buzzer beater, and win the game and score 20 points. And that sets up a game against the hated Duke Blue Devils. Mm. I mean, there's so, I rewatched this game, Ward watched it. There is so much to, to dissect here. And I want to live for a moment in this game because I do think this game provides not just, you know, everybody says like, oh, this is what Andre could be. Look, nobody can score 39 points a game. It's ridiculous. But what what I appreciated about the game is it was a microcosm of how you approached the game. You did everything in this game. You were diving out of bounds to save balls. You were diving after a steal mid-court full speed in the middle of the game. You were drawing charges. This was such a fun game to watch. It is really one of the all-time great Indiana performances. But walk us through what you remember about walking into the finals of the preseason NIT in Madison Square Garden against Duke. I almost have to go back farther and and walk you through, again, first-round loss, you know, to Boston College. Brian Evans is a senior and having to relive, uh, you know, that lasting impression of seeing them play their last game. And I contributed, you know, I tried to do the best I could, but I was, I contributed to another, uh, you know, loss for a senior playing their last game. And so I was like, here's another opportunity. You know, what do I want to do this year? You know, that was a rough year for Brian Evans, you know, to say the least. And, um, and, and that year as a team. And so here we are, we're walking into this year. What all, you know, how can we pull together and contribute? Um, I think the seniors at that time was uh, Rob Eggers and, um, um, Harris Miljanovic uh, were the seniors at that time, maybe even uh, Mandeville, Richard Mandeville. Um, 
And so I was just like, man, you know, don't have to defer to, to a star player. So like, now what? Now it's, you know, what am I going to do now? And so it's time to step up. And so those early games, you know, I can't recall, you know, how I played in those games, but those were kind of steps leading into, okay, I don't have to defer anymore. Now I can kind of take over and, and not feel like I'm stepping on, you know, somebody's toes. And, and that was all a, com- you know, a combination of things that led up to that game. Well, the game starts in a really interesting way because everybody remembers your final stats, but you actually start that game going one of five. Your first five shots, you only make one. Um, You've missed a three, you missed some inside shots. It's not a great start. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this, I think, speaks to just your character and what you've talked about, about being mentally tough and persevering. And then about 10 minutes into the game, it's about 10 minutes in, you're guarding Rashawn McLeod. On, on Duke, and you're guarding him right at the top of the key, which, by the way, this is, again, what what was so tantalizing about you is that you could guard somebody at the top of the key, stay with him. And McLeod tries to make a move, and you poke the ball away. It goes to half court, and you sprint head for, as fast as you can, and you dive head first, skidding about 30 feet, by the way, on the on the slide, and you poke the ball ahead to Michael Lewis. And it seems like something clicks, like the team has an edge to them at this point, And we start just delivering body blows. We're not backing down from Duke here. Um, and then you start to roll. You're hitting inside. You're hitting outside. You're getting rebounds. What, what are, do you remember feeling like, oh, I've got this working today? Do you remember anything like that special happening in the first half? Again, you know, it was it was the, the I saw Brian Evans do that. I saw Allen do that. I saw Pat doing that. You know, I saw Todd Lindemann doing those things. And so it's like, I'm not deferring anymore. It's either, you know, it's either me, Neil, you know, Charlie or, you know, or who else is going to do this, right? So um, I said, you know, it was almost like them living through me, you know what I mean? And, and me making sure I represent all the things that I learned through those years and, and, and diving on that floor and seeing – you know, Mike, you seeing the, the bench get pumped up. I was just like, all right, here we go. Let's go. You know, we're on this stage. Let's go ahead and show it. You know what I mean? And so that was that was the feeling that I had during that time. And do you think Market, uh, I'm sorry, Madison Square Garden, I prefer Market Square Arena. That's my old school <laughs> Indiana kicking in. But w- what what is it about being there in that place against the opponent like that? Does Does that just give everybody out on the court? a little extra juice because you know all the world's watching? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, the game prior to that, you know, it was, that was a spectacular game also. You know, people don't remember that game. That was, that was all the way down to the wire, you know? And, and so, um, you know, we had a tough practice after that game, you, you know what I mean? Because we should have won it, you know, more handedly and we did it, you know? And so it was like, what are we going to do to, you know, not, uh, had that same experience from the last game, you know, do, you know, we're going to just roll over because of the, the name of their jerseys or are we going to, you know, play to our potential. And so um, the, between that and the adrenaline of just playing in that atmosphere, um, it just sparked a, a surge of, of energy and, and, and excitement in all of us as a team that, you know, it was probably going to be hard to relive again for sure. Do you remember the play in the second half where you 
had a similar steal at the top of the key. It's like the classic steal. Yeah. Walk, uh, you know what play I'm talking about. Walk us through that <laughs> because it is. Oh. I mean, I Andre, I watched it a dozen times in preparing for yeah. this. It made me so happy. So it was just, you know, at that point we had had it going, you know, both offensively and defensively. And so, you know, I felt like I could guard anybody at that point, you know. So it was just, I don't know if it was a switch or whatever the case may be, but I just, you know, same position. I'm locking in. He's going to make the same move, and I'm going to poke the ball. And this time I'm not going to die. I'm going to sprint even harder, and I'm going to grab it and go slam it. And so um, I'm surprised I didn't get a technical. Like I think I really got hyped up after <laughs> After that one right there. But you know what? You know how tired I was after making that play? <laughs> I was going to say, by the way, by the way, you come out of the game not long after that because you were gassed. I mean, you had given it oh. everything. And, I mean, the dunk was amazing. I don't really know how you were able – it actually looked like you took off a little too early, to be honest with you. Yeah, for sure. But for sure, whatever – you, 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 you jammed it home. It was incredible. The place is going nuts. Coach obviously sees that you're gassed, takes you out, and then Duke cuts the lead. I mean, yeah. it's getting close. The announcers are saying, you got to get Andre back in, you know? You come back mm-hmm. in, and you guys run away with it. You end up separating yourselves. You beat Duke on the biggest stage that college basketball has to offer in a, pre- in a pre-tournament, you know, pre-March Madness situation. 39 points. It is a game that lives on forever. I mean, that really, it's a legacy game. And Michael Lewis comes up to you as you guys win and you give a giant (laughs) hug to Michael Lewis. We love Michael Lewis. He lives out here in LA now as a assistant coach for UCLA. What can you tell us about Michael Lewis? What, what do you remember about him entering the team and your time with him? I I just remember he he, he was the epitome of, of, of what coach Knight um, would recruit Um, tough, uh, all about the team. Um, you know, just just the almost the heartbeat of, of of Indiana basketball. You know, Neil's that type of person, also. You, you know what I mean? And so, like Damon Bailey, that I mean, all of them had different uh, levels of of, of of an ability to score the ball and, and roles, but um, it, they all came with the same mold of of of, of what I just ex- described of you know being the heartbeat, just toughness. You know what I mean? And so um, he pushed me. Uh, Mike pushed me, man. Not not just Coach Knight, but Mike pushed me. Neil pushed me. Um, Charlie pushed me. Um, you know, I hope I was able to push those guys as well um, because uh, Michael wouldn't let me. He saw early that I, you know, uh, you know. I guess he watched our game. He was like, "You you were deferring, man. You're the man, man. Take over this game. We need you." Blah blah blah. And so it was him. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I can't say enough good things about Mike, man. And we still keep in touch to this day. Oh, that's great. How great of a Division One head coach is Mike Lewis going to be? Just needs opportunity. He he's already been ready. Um, he just needs opportunity. Um, I'm sure he's great in the in the living room as well. Uh, he's genuine. Um, he just needs opportunity, and I hope it comes sooner than later because um, he, he's going to be he's going to help uh, uh, boys become men the right way. Um, and so not that none of these other coaches aren't doing that, but uh, I know him personally and I know what he's about. Um, and he, he's going to, I know what he's been instilled with and uh, he's going to be able to pass that on to any, any player that, that, that plays for him. 
So this year has kind of an opposite feel of the year before. You start off like gangbusters. You start off 14 and one, <laughs> right? It's like, oh my God, yeah. we're back. We're a national championship mm. contender. Uh, you know, you, by the way, after that Duke game, you play Notre Dame and you hit another game winning jump shot. So things seem yeah. to be rolling. And then the Big Ten conference hits and mm. the Big Ten is loaded. It's always tough. And things start to fall apart a little bit, truthfully, for the team. We ended up going nine and nine in that season, finished fifth in the Big Ten. Um, there was a highlight game, though, that speaks to mental toughness where you're playing at Michigan and you go down 20 points losing by 18 at halftime and you then force overtime and win, which I'm always amazed at games like this, because how often do we see, I always say this to my friends too, when they're like, Oh, we were up by 18. How did we blow it? It's you didn't blow it. You're not 18 points better than the other team. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's why the game is 40 minutes. Like there's always you know, a swing. There's always right, a swing. Always. Right? There's always a like, run. You are Indiana isn't better than Michigan by 18 points. So it's going to even out at some point, most of the time. But how often do we see that run happen? And then you hear the classic, oh, they expended so much energy to come back in the game. They didn't have enough to get it over the hump. Well, in this game, you got it over the hump uh, and you win in overtime. You have 14 points and eight rebounds, a hard fought game. And you play a ton of minutes in that game, by the way. I think you played 42 of the 45 minutes. What do you uh, What do you remember about that game specifically? Oh, man, I mean, it's a tough environment to play in anyway. You know what I mean? Chrysler Arena, I mean, that, wow. That, uh, uh, they had a lot of talent. Um, we did, too. Uh, we just, we weren't making shots. You know what I mean? And, and, mm-hmm. and you're on the road. You, you know, that crowd is getting to you. You got all kinds of distractions, but... Um, again, that shows this, this coach's preparation, you know, you know, throughout the ebbs and flows of the season, what he's trying to do on a day-to-day basis, practice by practice, to build up to, uh, you know, it might not be multiple moments, but it might be just that one moment where you're able to tap into something that Coach Knight has unlocked in you as an individual or a player to help you overcome, um, you know, whatever that adversity is that you're facing. So that was just a testament of, of, of that process. I think as as fans, we're sitting back and we've been waiting for that changing of the guard where when when Calbert and that incredible class moved on and then there was a couple guys left with Damon and Pat and then it was Allen and then it was Brian. But the way Calbert's class came in and became one of these seminal eras in Indiana basketball and and we sort of felt that way with you and Neil and Charlie, and now it's your time to shine. And mm-hmm. and I remember that freshman year watching that NIT Duke game and being like, here we go. All right, yeah. we're back. You know, you creep up towards the, the top five in the country. And then as things kind of start to fall apart as the season goes on, and it's this loss to damn Chauncey Billups in the in the NCAA tournament. It's three years in a row. You guys are booted out in the first round, and then Neil leaves. It it certainly felt from the outside like wait wait it was it was right there, and then it crumbled before our eyes during this season. Can can yeah. you talk to kind of what was going on internally that led from like such great potential and promise in New York? to now all of Hoosier Nation is kind of freaking out. And are you guys aware that we're all freaking out? 
No, so you nailed it. it was all the inner, there was a lot of inner turmoil, you know, going on at that time um, that, you know, not, not a lot of people, uh, you know, knew about, you know, and so that's something else that, you know, we were able to overcome, you know, a lot of times, but we were still battling it throughout the year. Um, and it was, and it started before, um, it started before uh, that, that, that weekend in New York, you, you know what I mean? And so, um, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, which led to Neil transferring at the end of the year, you know, unfortunately. Um, and so once you break that trio, you know, it was me, him, and Charlie. Uh, you know, Charlie was was getting um, – his minutes were, were, were up and down also, so he wasn't um, having the, the, the stable role that he probably should have had during that time in order for us to, you know, kind of take the, you know, take, take the baton as a trio, you know, moving forward. Um, and so it was just a lot of things that, that, um, that we were dealing with inside that, um, you know, we tried to play through, but it all, it, it often would show at times. Um, and, and unfortunately that's what happened. That year is also the year of the, we'll call it the Neil Reed incident that is captured on camera and comes mm-hmm. out later. Do you remember that incident happening at the time that it happened? Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know exactly when during the season it happened, but it was, I would say, in the middle of the season. Um, and so you can imagine the, the imagine what we were going through, you know, imagine what we were having to fight through, you know, as a team, you know, as individuals. Neil was, a, you know, we were roommates from, right. from day one. Um, and so, you know, Charlie as well. And so we were all torn, you know, and, and you know, whatever was going on between him and Coach Knight, you know, no, only them two know um, at that time. Um, yeah, obviously transcend farther than just the basketball court um, for it to get to the level it got to. Um, and so, you know, we, we try to deal with it the best we can as kids, you know, imagine that, you know, we're still kids, you know, we're juniors in college, but we were still kids, you know, um, you know, dealing with that and dealing with the pressure of, of, of taking on that baton that had been passed to us. And, um, you know, our seniors at the time, like I said, were Harris and, and Richard Mandeville, and they weren't really, they, they weren't Calvert Chaney. They weren't Alan Henderson. They weren't, you know, you know what I mean? So, you know, it wasn't like they could, you know, really take the reins. It was, it was on us. And so now you, you give it to some young kids that are dealing with the, you know, the inner turmoil like that, um, that are close personal friends and, and not knowing how to handle it. And so um, looking back on it, it's just like, wow, how, how did we even have that weekend in New York based on what we were working, work, work mm-hmm. trying to work through? Um, I- and it I'm, just it just came it came to a big cr- crash at the end, unfortunately. But uh, not to take anything away, man. Chauncey Billups is, yeah. I mean, I mean look, who, look who, I mean, he, he, unbelievable player. You know what I mean? And and, and uh, we just we just weren't ready um, as a team. We weren't ready to take on uh, a caliber player like that. I, I'm glad you said what you said about it was amazing to even have that because when I look at your senior year, I feel like I don't know how you guys won a game. I mean that, I, and let alone finishing fourth in the Big Ten and winning a NCAA tournament game, which we'll get to here, because I love the fact that you had a little bit of NCAA success, and personally, you had some success there at the end. We'll get to that. But here's what happens your senior year. You come off oh, of that. Wait, wait. Oh, sorry. Wait. I, I say, Before that, let's just take a little jaunt down to Australia, because you, you did get oh, so to get let's go out. Back, let's, let's go back even further than that, right? Okay. Here's the other part. I twisted my ankle at the beginning that of that Big Ten 
I want to say big middle beginning or middle of that Big Ten season, really bad in Iowa, really really mm. bad. And I didn't mm. play. I couldn't. Play, I just couldn't play the same after that. I was wearing a size probably two inches size bigger shoe just so I could wear an Aircast to play. I don't know if people wow. remember, remember no, that. I don't remember either. So, and that was on my right leg, which I had the injury to my right knee in my freshman year. Mm. And so, which which led to complications later. So, so to go to Australia, right? Yeah, I'm going. Everybody thought I was leaving to go pro. Blah blah blah. There's a lot of rumors there. I, you know, I had no intentions of that. Um, I told my mom I was going to graduate, and that's that's what it was going to be. Coach Knight already knew that. Um, so there was a lot of stories floating around that I was leaving to go pro, but no, I was I was ready to go play on the USA team. You, you know what I mean? And I probably shouldn't have played because I had just finished the year with a with an air cast on my ankle. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, yeah. And so I, I went there. I, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to to play for Rick Majerus and have that experience to represent our country. Um, and, and played through an ankle that was, was was huge. And I'll never forget Rick Majerus looked at my ankle and was like, this is the toughest MF that I've ever coached. <laughs> yes. <at> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so can you talk a little bit who else was on that team? And you won a gold medal. That's the other team. The other team won the gold medal. Wait, so what happened to you guys? We lost so... Australia had an incredible team. And it's great because right now I have Dante Exum on our team right now, right? Oh, yeah. So him and I, him and I, you know, we had a chance to go back down memory lane. I said, you know, I, you know, I played in Australia back in the day, Melbourne, your, your hometown, the world championships. He's like, really? He was like, yeah. I said, I said, there was an Australian player on that team that I will never, ever forget. And, and during that time, you know, it still happens today where you throw a bunch of college kids together or you throw a bunch of pros together that never played together these international teams they've been playing together for years and so right. the chemistry is good and so now you mix that with you know uh, an australian team that was probably older you know more experienced and had more years of playing together so the chemistry and continuity was was incredible so uh god i can't think of his first name mckinnon was his name and i said the name that he has the last name starts with an m you know, I couldn't remember his name. And Dante goes through that old list of who it was. And he saw McKinnon. And I was like, yeah, that's him. He said, yeah, that guy was just unbelievable. He was like the Michael Jordan of Australia during that time. Wow. They had Chris Anstey on that team who got drafted by the Mavericks. They had, yeah. they had some players. And so, um, yeah, we lost in the first game against them. Because we had it, – it was amazing. They We should have been playing in the gold medal game against each other. Instead, we started off playing against each other in the first oh. game. They went on to win the gold medal. We go on to win fifth place. Who was on your team? It was happy memories because I, I got a chance to to play with uh with 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 Ty Lu, uh, oh nice with, uh, Andre Miller, um with Mike Doliak, with Brad Miller. Um, well, that's not Barry. great. That's not great, Brad Miller. <laughs> uh, uh. He, ended good, he ended up having a good great career though. Um, yeah, I know, but that's a, why we don't like him. They got a chance to. to uh, Instead of beating each other up, we got a chance to play on the same team, you know? Yeah, that's right. We had some right. battles. We had some battles, man. Yes, you uh, did. So, uh, Brad Miller, who else was on that team? Mike Jones from TCU, great shooter. Um, Sam Jacobson from Minnesota was on that team. Oh, he could play. Um, I loved Sam oh. Jacobson's game. I loved his game. So, Sam Jacobson and this guy McKinnon, right? Same type players. Most athletic. I mean, super athletic. Yeah. But – this Sam McKinnon, add three or four more years on to, 
Sam Jacobson. Is, you know what I mean? Like that's that's who he had to go. He's against. a man, a grown man. Yeah. Uh, and so it was it was it was a great memory. We had some great practices out in. Uh, well, first you you know you had to make the team, so the, you know the trials in um, Colorado Springs was incredible. Um, um, and then, you know, we had, we had our team where we went to practice for about two weeks in, in LA. Um, those practices were great too, before we went to Australia, but that trip, 17 hours from LA to Australia and my ankle was humongous. Oh, yeah. That, that and, plane ride has to be awful. Oh, it was terrible. And so we get there and, and Majerus is doing his media and he tells me to come up. I had to go get treatment. He's getting treatment too. Cause he had just had uh, heart surgery. And he's doing media in there, and he's just like, this is the toughest MF I've ever coached in my life. Look at that ankle. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But well, you it, did have to have a lot of pride in representing your country as, as a military brat to then strap USA on your chest. That had to have extra meaning for you. No question. I wasn't passing that up. You know, and I, you know in hindsight, I probably should have rehabbed and got my ankle right. Um, but I wasn't passing that up, that, that, you know wear that on my chest, play for Rick Majerus, a uh, chance to win a gold medal. That, uh, I, I had to do that. Do, Andre, just do you ever just take a moment to think back on your, I mean, you're still a young guy. The experiences you have had in your life from being a military guy, living in all the places you did, living in Iceland, going to Indiana, playing, you know, singing in Carnegie Hall, playing in Madison Square Garden, playing in Maui, playing in Alaska, playing in Australia, representing, I mean, you're all, you've played, you've played basketball on every continent in this world. Um, not to mention your European career. I mean, do you ever just in kind Japan, of. I played on the, the, the big 10 all-star team. We went to Japan. Oh my you know? God. I mean, do you played ever just Randy take. Ayers on that. He was the coach of that team. Do I mean, what a life, a life is about experience. I mean, you ever just kind of take stock and look back and go, holy hell, this is pretty amazing. Oh, amazing. And, and so blessed to, to be able to experience things that basketball has given, you know, has been able to give me. And um, I mean, I have a daughter that, you know, she was born in Spain, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's amazing awesome. the things that, um, you know, I'm always thankful for and, and, and pray each day about, you know, I pinch myself. Did I really experience those things? You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, right. think about it. Like as a kid, think about it. As a kid, I traveled all these places. I continued to travel while I was in college. And then I got a chance to like really live in all those different cultures, you know, later on. You know, the early was two years and out. You're young. You don't remember. College, we were only there for, you know, three or four weeks. Now I'm over there living, you know, learning the language, learning the culture, eating the food, um, you know, creating lasting relationships with players and families that you know i keep in touch with today that you know internationally you know that that i tell you when i look back i, I continue to pinch myself and just say wow so let's touch on your senior year because like i said before we got into um the australia stuff here's what happens your senior year so mm. neil the guy that you came in with transfers amidst controversy. I mean, it's not good. It is just ugly. I mean, look, I was, Ward and I were students there at the time. I remember it was just dark times for IU basketball. Oh. It was not fun. Um, no. It definitely felt like, you know, like people, I think, don't like talking about this because of the Coach Knight legacy is so important to the school and, and he deserves every accolade ever. He's the best coach in the history of the game. But there was buzz around this time of was it over 
Before he got let go in 2000, there was already buzz happening. We had lost several years in a row in the first round. Had he lost touch with the game? You know, it just was not pretty. Neil Reed transfers amidst controversy. Two new assistants are brought in. Mike Davis and John Traylor are brought in. So the coaching staff is now having a huge turnover, which is a big deal. It's rare to have two new assistant coaches in a college basketball team. And then nine games. Yeah, exactly. And then nine games into the season, Jason Collier transfers, which rocks Mm. the team in the middle of a season, which is very rare. And, you know, also you guys lose to athletes in action before that year kicks off. This is your senior year. You start three and three, but all of this happens in this short period of time. What the hell was in your mind going into your senior year when all this stuff was swirling around you? Well, the first thing was like, how can I get my ankle back to 100% so I can perform? <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. This year, um, I think at that time I was still rehabbing. I wasn't even 100%, you know, during that early part of that season. Um, but, yeah, it, it was – what a summer that was. Um uh, and leading up into that season with all the with the transfers and all that kind of stuff, but um, I just look back, you know, it, it, all the stuff that I went through the first three years prepared me for that. You know, now did we were we successful and did we turn it into a great story? Maybe not, but it prepared me for what um, as a senior I was going to have to deal with. And uh, um, I'm appreciative of of the guys that were you know still there at the time. You know, I mean, like like Charlie, we banded together, continued to band together. Um, you know, AJ Guyton was great. Um, Michael Lewis, Luke Recker had came in and yeah, um, provided a, a breath of fresh air. For, I think for everybody um, and his expectations. Um, and so, it, although there was some, some, it seemed like dark times. Um, I think it helped us band together as a team, and we just did the best we could to uh, uh, to get through it. One of the true highlights early in that conference season was taking down a top 10 Purdue team. We haven't got Mm. to talk about the other evil empire. What did that (laughs) rivalry, at that point, you're a senior now and you you get Mm -hmm. it. You've been there long enough. You've been in the battles. What does it mean to take down an excellent boiler team? It's hard for me to even say that, but it's true. Um, in Assembly Hall, your senior year in front of the, the, the home crowd, how, how much fun is that? You know, um, at the end of the day, it, it was, I still didn't, I hadn't grasped the gravity of, of that rivalry, you know, even though I was a senior because I just wasn't, I, would, I didn't grow up in Indiana and I, I lived in a bunch of different places. Um, but it was personal at that point, you know, we were losing to these guys. We wanted bragging rights, whether it was Notre Dame, whether it was Purdue, whether it was Indiana state, whether it was, you know, it was just bragging rights in that state Butler, you, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just bragging rights in the state of Indiana. And that, that's the, that's the pride that I took on was to having bragging rights in the state of Indiana. We're not going to let these guys come into our own home at one thing and beat us. Um, but to be able to provide that for, for the fans, um, and for coach, um, with everything that we had, had gone through that year, um, was huge. It was huge, man. Um, but, but yeah, it felt good. I and mean, let me tell you, we partied after that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we partied during that game. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you do band together as a team throughout all this turmoil. You win 15 of 19 games at a stretch in that season, which is just incredible. Um, And that year also marks the very first year of the Big Ten tournament, which is Mm. something that Coach Knight could not give two shits about and made it clear (laughs) and made it clear that he couldn't give two shits about it. But in the first round game of the Big Ten tournament, you turn in a pretty incredible performance. You score 25 points in that game, which was an Indiana record just until two years ago when Devontae Green broke it uh, when he had a barrage of three-pointers against Ohio State. But you win that game, which, by the way, winning a Big Ten tournament game for Indiana over the last 25 years has been rare. So you win a game. Uh, you go into the NCAA tournament. This is your last NCAA tournament as a, as a college basketball player. And you have not won a game yet. You know, you've got three first-round losses, and you play Oklahoma. What do you remember about that game? Because it turned out to be a pretty special way for you to, uh, to kind of end your, your college career in Indiana. Uh, so Big Ten tournament, yeah, you're right. Coach Knight hated this, the, the tournament, uh, that, that, the, the whole scenario around the tournament, you know, other than the NCAA tournament. You know, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't count the, the overall Big Ten champion is the, is the real champion, you know. Um, but it, it was a, a first-year experience. Um, it was also uh, it was also a period where I knew it was coming to an end. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you know I gotta leave it all out on the line. You know what I mean? And and so um, and it's something you need to do every game, right? That's what you're you're brought up. You know, leave it all on the line, no matter where you know every game, every day. Um, but when you know you're coming to an end, it's just natural, right? It's just natural to hey, I gotta leave it all on the line. And so that's what it was about. You know, I'm gonna leave it all on the line and and try to take the team as, as far as I could, you know, and do the best I could to put us in a position to be successful. Um, but it was great. And I felt like it, it almost felt like uh, the Duke game again. You know, I felt like I, I could make anything. And so, you know, coach, if you whatever distractions were out there, it wasn't going to matter. Um, I was going to play my game because this could be the last one. <laughs> then you get to the NCAA tournament where you play Oklahoma. You play 40, uh, I think you play 42 minutes in that game. You score 26 mm. points. You win. What did it feel like to win an NCAA tournament game in your senior year? In oh. overtime. In overtime. Just like, a, just like a monkey off your back, you know. Um, your whole career at a school that you used to go into the Final Four or the Elite Eight, and you can't get past the first round. You know, it was almost like, wow, we got the target off our back. You know, at least we were able to leave a – a different legacy than what, uh, you know, previously was going to be left. And, right. and that, 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 like I said, that was senior year. How am I going to want to be remembered? Um, hopefully remembered for, you know, representing the school the right way and, and, you know, at least helping carry forward the tradition that the school has been known for. Your last four games in an IU Jersey, you score 25 points in the big 10 tournament first round. You score 24 points and eight rebounds in the second round game of the Big Ten tournament. First round of the NCAA, you score 26 points in 42 minutes. And second round game against an excellent UConn team. Was that the UConn team that won the national championship? Yeah, they, they went on to win, yeah. Yeah, and you scored 20. Yeah, and Khalid el right, on that team. Mm-hmm. And you scored yeah. 23 points. Four straight games of 20 points. The first time that that happened for you at Indiana. Uh, you finished, you know, your last... 
your, your career stats, you jumped up your sophomore year, you jumped up your junior year, you kind of maintained it your senior year through a ton of turmoil. And now your career at Indiana is over. When you look back on your playing career at Indiana, what, how do you characterize it? Do you remember it fondly? Do you remember it for the losses? Like, how do you, how do you remember it? I remember it fondly. Um, you know, although we had a lot of, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of bad moments, right? But when you put that list side by side, it was way more great moments, um, you know, that I could list, you know, and, and talk about. Some of them I can't talk about. <laughs> I can list and talk, <laughs> and talk about, you know, during my years there, not just on the basketball court, but, you know, um, you know, having classmates like you guys. I don't, I don't know if we ever interacted or or cross paths, but just, just the classmates that I had during my time there, you know, the, the, I was scared of you. I saw you a couple of times. I was terrified. You're huge. I'm dead serious. I was terrified. And because we weren't winning that many games, I thought if I said anything, you would just beat me up. I was like terrified, but, but I, Michael Lewis, I wasn't scared of. He, I would bust his balls because we took a bowling class together, but you, I was scared of. Oh man. But that's what, you know, I had, I had a great time off the court, you know, with my classmates, the guys, you know, the people that I was able to cross paths with and had a great experience. Um, and so a lot of great times there, even the professors, I had great professors there that helped me through. Um, and they understood what we were going through as athletes for playing for coach Knight. And, and that's the other thing people don't realize, like at a, at a young age, imagine that spotlight that's on you, you know, right from the mm-hmm. start, you know? And so I had, I had a small spotlight in high school, but when you go to a school like a Duke or Indiana during those times, or Kentucky, man, that spotlight was on you, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, 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 hopefully, like I said, I hope I left a legacy of, of, of overcoming adversity. Cause a lot of times I'm glad you guys are able to, to have this podcast to talk to some of us, you know, some of us during that era, because there was a lot going on that we had to overcome, you know, that, that people really didn't know about that, you know, as kids, it's going to have an effect on how you play and as an individual and as a team. It's, it's funny now that we've gotten to spend this time with you and we've gotten to know Michael Lewis out here. Now I'm actually much more afraid of Michael Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, uh, I've been characterized as like the, the gentle giant. You, yes. know, you know what I mean? Like once I cross the line, a lot of times, um, once I crossed that line on the court, you, you didn't want to mess with me. But once I came off that court, man, I, you know, I'm laid back, funny, you know, like to have a good time and, and, and enjoy making memories. All right. Well, let's, we got to hit you with the questions we ask anybody who spent a lot of time in Bloomington. Favorite pizza. Oh, favorite pizza. Oh, I spent a lot of time with wings. So, okay. so chicken wings. So chicken wings was uh, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. BW3. BW3s. What about Buffaloes? You're not a Buffaloes guy? BW3s. All right. I, was hitting, I was hitting BW3s. And, and the breakfast spot, I'm a breakfast food guy. Okay. So, I, you know, we just were there. To, when we went there to watch a game, I was back there. We went to watch um, – you saw the oh, Purdue right game. Here. No, it was actually the Michigan game. Oh, okay. All right. Do you remember that game? We didn't score for like the first yeah, like it was 10 awful. minutes. Yeah, it was like 18 and, nothing or something like that. And, and Brian Evans and I were there, and Todd Lemon was sitting next to me, and like the crowd would look, turn around, look at us. Y'all get the game right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we were 
like, no, nothing we can do. <laughs> Not that. But wait, I'm curious about the breakfast. I want to talk about the breakfast because I love breakfast spots in Bloomington. You got Village Deli. You got Runcible Spoon. Runcible Spoon. That's it. Village Deli. Yes. So we stayed at the... Uh, uh, the Graduate? The, the, the Graduate. And let me tell you, as soon as I found out how close I was to uh, the Village Deli, <laughs> <laughs> I took our whole staff over there. I said, hey, this is on me. We're going to go to this place and we're going to be, you make sure you're there early so we can beat the line. Yes. And we ate there game day morning and we ate there the day we left, that morning that we left. <laughs> pancakes? You do the plate of pancakes? Oh, man. I tell you, they, they were probably like, wow, this guy's eating a lot of food. Because I can still eat. And yeah. So they, they probably looked at me like, man, is this for two people? I was like, no, this is for me. <laughs> All right. Ward, hit him with a Bloomington question. Okay, so uh, if it's not too damning to talk about where you might like to go have a a cold beer after a victory once you were of age in Bloomington, did you have a favorite spot then? Do you have a favorite spot now when you go back? Oh man, um, it's on the same it's on the same street. It's almost it's not across the street from. Uh, it might be from Village Deli. Kilroy's. Kilroy. There you go. That was a place where, you know, we went there during my time, you know, when we went yeah. there to, uh, to watch. Yeah, that's uh, where you go to get weird. Weird stuff so happens in Kilroy's. We had a back door, you know, that we would go in, you know, and leave out, you know. And so, uh, yeah, so I took the guys back there one night and we watched some, you know, some college and NBA games in there. And it was just like, wow. This, and it's changed a lot. You know, there was a lot of, they, you know, knocked down some walls and yeah. made it, you know, more spacious there. So, um, yeah, that was the place, Kilroy's, man. And there was two. I think by the yeah. time I was a senior, there was a, a yeah, second sports. one. Second Kilroy location. Sports. Yeah. yeah. What about uh, least favorite class that you took at Indiana? Least favorite class? Ooh, probably anthropology. Um, wow. All right. Didn't, didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, didn't quite catch my attention. <laughs> I couldn't know? get that one together. We got to go back to coach Knight's return to assembly hall oh oh yes please i'm wearing the same sweater hooded sweater that i wore that day that's great i did it on purpose oh nice yeah how'd you find out that was going on and and how did you decide you had to be back for that and and what did it mean to you and the guys around you to see coach Knight back where he belongs so we we have a couple of chat groups um on whatsapp and just regular um uh, uh, I, I message groups of whether it's the, the 96 Hoosiers or just the, the era of the 90s Hoosiers um, or late 90s Hoosiers. Uh, we have a group chat. And so Brian Evans was the one leading the charge there. Um, you know, like I, I, I think I told you, Eric, um, I think you, you said you used to do your, shot, your shows live um, in Bloomington. We did Brian one. Evans we, did, we did a, an event there that Evans came to. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, so Brian sent that picture to the group text, right? It was like, Hey, I hope you guys are going to be free um, on this weekend. Right. And he sent that picture and we were all like, what does that mean? At that point, we all knew coach was back in Bloomington, right? We knew he had moved back. Um, several of us keep in touch with him and talk to him at least once a month. And, um, and so I was, I, I, I got off the group chat and text Brian, you know, individually, Coach, is this what I think you're saying? Is Coach going back into the hall? He's like, he went, back, he went, he he didn't respond, and so then I called him. I say, hey, man, you can't you can't send a picture, a text <laughs> like that, not tell me. 
because you know I'm like I, I travel with the team, so I I got to know so I can try to plan, you know, because I don't want to miss that. And uh, he finally told me, yeah, this is going to be this is what's happening, Dre. You got to swear to secrecy. I'm only telling you because I know your schedule is crazy. Um, and I go cool. And so I kept it, and and uh, we kept talking on that group chat that we have. And uh, you know, there were some guys that were kind of iffy if they wanted to come, but I knew I couldn't say anything. So I was individually calling, you know, certain players, hey, you might want to make sure you can make it back for this if you can, you know, um, something you might want to, something you 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 don't want to say, I wish I had a later. He goes, what are you talking about, Dre? I'm like, yeah, you just, just, just try to see if you can work around it and get there. Um, and and then once we all were able to get that event going, you know, kudos to Brian. Um, you know, I'm not sure who else behind the scenes was involved, um, but but they did a great job. Um, you know, welcoming everybody back and making everybody feel like, um, you know, that they were home. You know, it's a family, right? It's an IU family, and that that's something that hasn't, uh, unfortunately, hasn't felt the same until Coach Knight stepped back into that 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 gym um, and, and in the center court there. Um, and so that was that was very just a surreal moment um, for all of us um, because we know the impact that man has had on so many different lives. You know, not just us as basketball players, but um, you know, many other other lives that, you know, people don't know about, they, you know, because he doesn't publicize it. You know, he's done a lot of things um, that that's not publicized that uh, that we know that he's done. Um, and so it, it meant a lot, you know, especially with how things ended. Um, he needs to um, he's one of the greatest coaches to ever coach the game. Um, and, and he deserves everything that comes along with that. Um, and that was just one step. Hopefully the other things will fall in place as well. What is the one thing you hope? Coach Knight knows about your relationship with him and what he means to you. If there is one thing that that you could be sure that he takes with him, what what would you want that to be? He prepared me for life. Um, The times I've uh, talked with him, and and it's been several times, and, and Karen also, when I can't talk to him, I make sure to relate that to Karen. Prepared me for life. Um, there's, there's quite a few obstacles in my life that um, I probably would not have been able to overcome or handle the right way if I have not, uh, if he hadn't made the impact on me um, and, 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 you know, supported the foundation my parents had already instilled in me um, for me to, you know, to be able to fall back on, you know, when adversity hit in my life moving forward. So, um, and I, and like I said, I've told him many times, I've told Karen many times, I've told Pat many times, hey man, that, that guy made made me be prepared for life because we all live in a bubble. You know what I mean? Like like especially us athletes, we live in a, a fantasy world and and once your basketball career is over with, now life starts. You know, and, and if you're not prepared for it, you know, some guys have struggled. I didn't struggle. It was easy. The transition was so easy for me. And that was because of my experience in Indiana and, and Coach Knight. It's nice now since that fateful day that Coach Knight came back and you and so many other players did that, you know, and Eric and I started this before all that happened. And it feels mm-hmm. so different now. And I don't know if that's inaccurate, uh, but I feel like we've heard from enough guys since then that it does feel better right now that we're the the family as a whole do you feel that too that we're a little bit back together again as opposed to the the 20 years prior no question um the 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 the, the IU family is definitely 
full circle. Um, and we we still have a little ways to go, but we are we are definitely in a in a great place right now. And, and it can only I can only imagine, you know, hopefully I'm able to have the opportunity to experience some of the new things in the future that's gonna happen as we continue to build this family atmosphere that that this university program deserves. Um, um, I, I just can't say it enough. Like now I understand the history, right? You know, I've, I've spent time with Isaiah, I've spent time with all these guys in, in Calvert and, and, and although I'm not from Indiana, I understand um, the history, the, the pride, the, 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 just the emotions the, and, and appreciate the fans. Like, I mean, as much as you say you have a better appreciation for, for what we did and with all we went through, we, we know what we were signing up for. You know what I mean? Although we were kids, we signed up to play a game to, you know, at the end of the day, it's entertaining, right? We got to, and we got to perform, you know, we're, we're getting a free education in order to perform um, and, and give the fans something that, you know, they're all paying tuitions that's helping pay for our scholarships. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when you, when you look back on that, it's like, yeah, we were kids, but you know, we, we, we knew what we were signing up for. Now, do we know the gravity of it? Maybe not because we were kids, but we knew we were getting into a situation where you know, we got to go out here and perform, you know, it, it, it became a business at that point. So um, mm -hmm. I appreciate, uh, you know, fans like yourselves. And I wish we had a cross path. I wish you hadn't have been scared of me. So you could have busted my balls. <laughs> like you'd, have been, you'd have been surprised of my reaction. Yeah, I know. I, I wish I could go back. Um, what's your take on Archie? Do you know Archie at all? Have you gotten to know him? And, uh, you know, you're in the business of basketball and evaluating basketball players and talent. What, what can you tell us fans uh, from your perspective on, on Archie Miller? What I'll say is, is uh, as a person, how he treats people, you know what I mean? Um, he, he's, he overachieved here at Dayton. You know what I mean? Now it takes time to, to heal, right? It takes time to heal um, and repair um, uh, kind of what's been lost in the Indiana tradition. That takes time. And you, you, I haven't paid close attention to how he's, you know, how he's treating the fans, how he's treating the, um, you know, um, whether it's boosters, all his obligations that he has, but my interactions with him has is, is, is been awesome. Um, he treats people with respect. Um, I, I see how kids talk about him when we interview them. Um, and, and so that says a lot about at least where, you know, at least from that standpoint, he's got that covered, right? Oh, that's great. Um, for coaches, it, it, you're only as good as, you know, your, your talent pool, um, the people around you that are working with you. You know, people think that coaches have the magic potion that, that can just create this, oh, this team's going to be great now that we have this coach. No, it's a collective thing, you know, um, and, and a lot of times it's luck, you know, that goes along with the collective, um, the collective thing that, that, that culminates in a championship, culminates back into the, the winning uh, sustainable tradition. And, but I, I think he's, he's in a step in the right, Indiana's in a step in the right direction. One, you got somebody that cares and treats people with respect and wants the best out of his players. Two, um, we've now bridged the gap. And so now um, there won't be this separation of, of history. Now the history will come back together. Um, and, and just think, these recruits see that too. You know what I mean? They see the, the history and the, and the bridge and the connectivity and the, 
chemistry over time with all these other schools. And they love that. They want to be a part of that. So when you see that um, with a school with the history of Indiana and it's broken, you're almost like, oh, I don't know if I want to want to be a part of that. But now that they see that it's been healed, it'd be interesting to see moving forward, um, you know, how, how kids will view, how uh, recruits will, will view uh, Indiana and the Indiana family in history. One thing moving forward, I just wanted to plant the seed. You're singing. No if there were a, f- a few other players from the Coach Knight era that you maybe know or could find out could also sing, Eric and I are thinking it would be great. You put a little group together and you call it Harmony in the Motion Offense. <laughs> we're just putting it out there. We're just putting it out there. I think we could certainly turn you on to a few thousand pigs fans who would want to hear anything you guys put out there. Just planting the seed. You don't have to decide now. Just planting the seed. We put together some some Christmas jingles, right? You yeah, know, that's something that could be reoccurring every year that people can, you know, exactly. Christmas Hoosiers album. in motion. Hoosiers in motion. Uh, Hoosier harmony in motion. Uh, offense uh, jingles. Yeah, I like that. And don't get to tour with straight no chaser. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. You'll take hey, it. I'm, I'm open to it. Before we let you go, you mentioned earlier that you are working um, with a foundation or a charity that, that is involved with military families. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a TAPS program. Um, and it's for families that have lost, um, you know, a fallen hero. Um, and, and so it's, it's something that the NBA has partnered with, um, with, with this program. It's been great. And it, it provides experiences um, for those families uh, to, to share. And it's multiple families. So um, tonight I'm going to be doing a uh, kind of a mock draft. You, you know what I mean? With these families that we've connected with and, and a few of my colleagues. So they, they have partnerships with the players. They have partnerships with referees. Uh, they didn't have partnerships with executives. And so what I've tried to do is give, give these families the, the experience of, of, of getting a peek behind the curtain. Because some of these are, are kids that, that lost fathers or mothers that guide them in the direction of what they want to do later on in life, right? And so we're trying to, to fill that void. Not all of them can become the next LeBron James, you know, who they're talking to and sometimes they're going to see those games. Not all of them can become, um, you know, maybe it can become the referee or top referee, but, but they don't know about, you know, from a physical therapist, uh, a scout, uh, media relations person, um, head athletic trainer, strength coach, uh, nutritionist. They, they don't know about um, those different opportunities within the NBA or just in sports in general. And so we're just trying to provide, uh, to add to their platform already to, to open up, um, you know, what those different opportunities and give them a chance. I've, I've connected with Brooklyn uh, Nets and a colleague of mine with the Utah Jazz and and we're probably the three executives right now. We want to try to build it out so that these families and kids can realize, hey, there, there's a there's a pathway. I might not be able to be the next LeBron James, but maybe I can be the next GM, or maybe I can be the next, um, you know, media PR um, for for one of these NBA teams. That's great. So that's is, been great. Is there a website or something we can direct our fans to to go, or do you want to get me some information and we can tweet it out? Yeah, I'll, I'll get that information to you. Great. Um, which has been great. Um, another thing that I've been able to, to, to be a part of is it's called Rising Coaches. I don't know if you guys know anything about that. Um, no. Michael Lewis probably would know about that, but this it's an opportunity where coaches can um, can be a part of a forum 
where they're learning, you know, you know, before you'd have to drive or fly across the, the, the country to a clinic of your favorite coach. This brings it right to your, you know, your home. They have a platform where they're doing it virtually right now, virtually, but they would have different conferences in, in Vegas and different area, other areas where everybody would have an opportunity without having to fly across the country for a clinic to be able to get exposed to uh, the different, uh, you know, coaching philosophies and terminologies and stuff like that. So, you know, whether you're a high school coach or a, a, a manager at a college, you're, you know, whether you're, you're, you know, IU manager or somebody like that is going to have more privileges than, you know, maybe a third division school manager. So it just, it opens up a platform for those people to get opportunity and exposure to those different things to help them grow in the business. Um, and so with them having that platform, I was able to connect with them and, and, and hopefully start an executive a branch oh, of that great so now you know you, you a lot of times i'll have uh, people reaching out to me on linkedin saying hey how can i get into business they're going to talk to you for a minute to, to hear your story and get some advice from you now we're going to provide this same platform where they, we can do virtual uh, q a's and, and and networking events where um kind of show them you know our road our path uh answer questions uh you know give them some insight on you know some of the things terminology and the strategy um, you know, the analytical ideas that go into to the front office uh, um, role. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about those two uh, different things that, that I'm involved in. That is, that is really, really cool, both of them. Look, to, to wrap this up, Andre, and we cannot thank you enough for the time that you gave us, um, I keep thinking about something I heard Coach Knight say in multiple interviews over the years, uh, both on video and in print, where he talked about Yes, he wanted to win basketball games, obviously, and he wanted to make you the best basketball players he could make you. But he wanted to make you good men and good mm-hmm. citizens. And I cannot think that there is anyone he could be more proud of than what you have done as a representative of Indiana, as a representative of your family, uh, for what you've done in your career since. Uh, it is an honor to talk to you. Everyone who told us we would love you, they undersold it. You are <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, I was told you have an infectious laugh, which is true. Um, <laughs> oh, um, boy. But, but man, I, I, it just makes me proud to, to, to say I'm a Hoosier because I know there's people like you that, that are Hoosiers that made IU what it is. And when, you, when COVID is over and Cleveland comes to play LA or you're out here for summer league or whatever it is, we're going to take you to get a black and white cookie from a deli out oh, here. Please. We will, that now. you hold us to it. We got you covered. But as, by the way, a lot of Jewish people in Los Angeles, we know how to make a black and white cookie. I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, just, hey, just don't set me up to go to a place where they're all out. Now, no, 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 no. We'll plan it ahead. We'll plan it ahead. We'll, we'll reserve. Some. Hey, wait a minute. I got something for you. So black cherry, I've been told. Oh yeah. Black cherry. Uh, um, black cherry drink. That's what you need to have at a deli. Yeah. Okay. I have been told about that. I one just... more. Egg cream. Have you ever had an egg cream? I haven't had egg cream. No. All right. When you come out here, we're going to do Slimans probably has an egg cream. But when you come out here, we'll do an egg cream, black cherry, black and white cookie. And then we'll all go check into the hospital for diabetes treatment. Yeah. <laughs> no question. <laughs> no, we'll have to check our we'll have to check our blood sugar for sure. After exactly. That. No, this this has been an honor. I, I appreciate it. And again, I know I said it earlier. Hopefully we can um, you know, put something together where we have almost like a reunion. Let's do it. Um, type yes, deal please. with some of some of these other players uh you know i don't know if it's an era i don't know if it's years 
but something where we can start doing this and then have both crossover with player and coaches, you know, going through would love that, it. that would be great. Let's do it. I, Ward and I will follow up with you. Let's put that together. I know that, that uh, the fans of Indiana would love to see that. Would love it. No question. Let's do that. Thank y'all very much. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. I mean, don't you just want to hug him? Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a warm, warm individual. And you said the infectious laugh, but if the listeners were able to see him as we were, what an infectious smile. Yeah, man. It just lights up the room. It just, it's uh, yeah. What, I mean, just, he's awesome. I mean, look, we, we keep talking about it. You've said it to him. They're human beings. There's so much more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. I didn't know that he was had a busted ankle his junior year that, that he was dealing with getting into his senior year. I mean, and he wanted to wear the USA across his chest, so he's not going to go take time off to treat it? Like, I mean, and then you see that he, you know, his scoring average falls half a point his senior year from his junior year. Well, maybe there's a reason why it did. You know, he's yeah. playing on a gimpy leg from a knee injury that started his freshman year all the way to his senior year. He's got a busted ankle that he doesn't want to get, doesn't want to give up the opportunity to represent his country coming from a military family. I mean, all these things, you would have no clue. You, we have, we had no clue. We have these superficial narratives that are derived really from maybe what we see on the court. And certainly back then, there was much less media, right? There's a, a couple, three uh, newspaper reporters. Maybe uh, Indianapolis has a reporter down there doing a five-minute story. And from that, you're, you're piecing it all together with your friends over a Sink the Biz session. And, and that comes to sort of define an era. And you really have to get in there and have the conversations and dig deep in order to understand every player, every team, every season had its own unique set of obstacles. And it's virtually always way more complicated than, well, those guys didn't do what we hoped they were going to do. I loved his mom doing just surprise visits. That is never my heard thing. of that before. It is. It is so smart. It is. You want to get a sense of what they're really like. You want to get a sense of how the program looks from the inside without them, like, you know, hiding everything and preparing. I love it. It was so smart. And the, and, and Bob, you said, Bob Knight spontaneously picked up a yeah. small child. Yeah. I mean, it's get just awesome. Here. By the way, there have been videos over the last couple of years since coach returned to Bloomington year and a half or so where people have posted like him at a restaurant and they'll show him with a kid and he is so warm and, and nice to them. And again, it's this side that we never saw and he didn't, he didn't allow us to see, you know, and he didn't, need it to be seen that's he had a private life and and he, his job was to coach basketball and he did that and he didn't need to publicize anything else um but man andre he is a gentle giant and you just root like hell for him now for success in you know he's done very well already on the and in the nba front offices and you just hope i mean wouldn't it be great one day if he's a gm of a of a franchise it seems like that's the path that he's on we talk about you know IU players in the NBA playoffs in the bubble and how that brings us pride. But then when you, you start to, to see that influence and obviously talking with, with Glenn and 
uh, earlier this summer, there's the pinnacle of what somebody can do off of the basketball court, but in the NBA to represent the university well. And so to think Andre's there in Cleveland representing, and then to get like, hey, how great was that inside scoop that when Cleveland or maybe even Utah before then, but I, I guess it would just been while he was in Cleveland, probably these guys like Romeo and Juwan are coming in and talking about who Archie is and what he's doing there. And he's checking those boxes. And that's not something we've heard about or no, it's or great. people talking about, but you're like, Ooh, that's the kind of stuff that bodes well for long, long-term success. When then these top recruits who know people everywhere and their coaches know people everywhere. And they're like, yeah, these guys coming out of there, are really prepared and saying all the right things about what Archie and his staff are doing to prepare them for the next level. So I'm like, ooh, ooh, good, yes. No, Thank that was you. really good. Let's. I'd like to hear what know the, about that. I'd like to hear what the players have to say about Tom Crean. I think those would be fun <laughs> comments from some of them. That would be really fun. Yeah, look, I mean, Andre, <laughs> he's awesome. He's just awesome. He's such a warm guy. And look, man, I'm rooting for the Cleveland Cavaliers now like hardcore. I want the Cleveland Cavaliers to have success because Andre Patterson helped build their team. Did you sell your season tickets? Oh yeah. They've been gone for a couple of, they've been gone the moment LeBron James left. <laughs> yeah. I figured as they much. still call me, they still call me like every, every couple months. Oh, let us tell you what we're doing. I'm like, Oh, did you get LeBron back? <laughs> Cause that's the only reason I'm buying season tickets again. All right. Well, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why? From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And guys you probably know by now are Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.